Guys, guys, guys. Hold up. Stop, stop, stop. I'm a potato. Excuse me. What else could I be? I'm a living potato. I love your energy, man. Oh, Steve. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Carlo. Am I a potato? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Okay, yes, perfect. I'm, I'm glad you acknowledged my potato-ness. Oh, man. So we're, we're back. And uh, this is crazy. So, okay. Part two of our three-part uh, year in review. <laughs> this is That's part right. two. Yeah. And not only that, it's an, another episode of ours with a guest. Like, how, how can we keep this going, Steve? Like, we have another guest for season two. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, we're on fire. I am excited. I'm recovering from a cold, but there was nothing that was going to stop me from being on this call with this guest. I'm very excited for you to intro the person. I don't want to give any spoilers. But yeah, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, we're we're welcoming back the estimable and honorable Bill Ooh. Scurry. Welcome, Bill. Hey, happy to be here, my friends. Oh yeah. man. Well, we're glad to have you back. And um yeah, so this episode uh that we're going to be discussing, it's actually going to be a year in review of a streamer. <laughs> and um originally it was going to be called the Netflix Double Bill. Uh, but, uh, we've now decided to do an entire, um, like entire sampler, like a smorgasbord of, of Netflix movies. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah, I'd like to think actually they had a pretty good year last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys are, feel free if you're inclined to agree or disagree. <laughs> um, I guess we'll, we'll cover that. Um, I, I definitely agree with your metaphor of a smorgasbord or like a, <laughs> like a charcuterie plate. Like yes. It's high, high variability. Yes, very say. much so. And um, yeah, it's funny that the impetus for two, for this was just two Netflix movies. And there was one, which we'll get to, uh, that I just couldn't get through. <laughs> so, and I eventually just powered through with it. But um, yeah, that before might be we... a theme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It might be. So, uh, yeah, before we, we just dive in, um, I just want to ask a few things for Bill. Bill, how's your 2023 been going? Oh, it's been, it's been uneventful so far. We spent the first couple, you know, I, I, just for the uh, full disclosure, um, me and my wife live in Amsterdam. We're in Holland. And um, we do travel back to the States, uh, you know, fairly a few times a year because our families are still there. So we spent the beginning of this year uh, in the East Coast uh, seeing our family. So I guess... 2023 started in earnest for us when we got back to Europe, I would say in the middle of January or so. But ever since then, it's been pretty uneventful. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of expecting the Dutch spring to begin here soon, uh, but it's nice. been frick, been frickin' freezing. Um, mm. the, the big tulip fields that this area is known for uh, will start to, they'll start to uh, sprout and, and become a gigantic tourist attraction, at, I guess in about three weeks time or so. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, it, it's, I'm happy to say it's been non-eventful so far. Everyone's been pretty healthy. Um, yeah, just playing it fairly modest. Okay. Sometimes that's the best way is just have it uneventful. Day. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Terrible things happening. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, uh, as some people may know, you have that podcast. I don't get it. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm wondering when are you guys going to cover AI? 
you know, that, somebody threw that at us. You know, the problem is, is that we are so kind of behind, we're behind the ball a little bit in terms of figuring <laughs> out. Like, we honestly don't know what's important. I feel like it's um, most of the but things. That's apropos to- for you guys, though. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I rely on my friends to kind of guide me to the places where we should be because I don't think anything pops up as, na- as naturally obvious as a topic to me. Yeah. Um, so, like for instance, this week we talked about SZA because her album's been out for a couple of weeks, but we just don't know how large her phenomenon was. But as we're right. doing that, another friend pops up and says have you guys talked about chat gpt yet I'm yes like, fuck it's like fuck i know it's important but i just can't prioritize who's more important than who you know like yeah i think i'd rather talk about SZA, Frank. i got better things <laughs> to say about her than chat gpt you know ha- yeah. have you tried it have you have you like no we did we did a lot of the ai stuff in terms of art generating and i mean it, mm. it, this is a little bit of a variation on the theme i mean first it was deep fakes and then there was the uh, uh ai uh what is it crayon meta meta thing whatever yeah the dolly stuff you got it you got it yeah Yeah, so this to me i have a feeling we're going to have a very similar conversation when we do Mm. you know i mean it's hard to avoid it at this point because this does seem to be the next logical big step where it's not exactly the same symmetrical topic as as, yeah uh, yeah it definitely feels though like it's uh, a sea change like things are changing because of it like uh, it's scary it really yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. John Oliver did, uh, the, just to give you data when this is happening, John Oliver's Sunday night show on HBO, he, he made his main story uh, on Sunday night about ChatGPT. And, you know, he did a pretty good 25 minutes on it. But, yeah, it looks like it's, I mean, we have to engage with it. I mean, not just our podcast, but everyone who's a human being with a, with a you know, frontal yeah. lobe has to deal with this now. Yeah, and I'm just curious for you because, you know, in a past life, you were a writer you know how you feel about this because it's the same way like you know with mid journey or dolly how artists have been feeling about their work like yeah. it, learning from their work because you can basically input something in chat gpt where it's like write me something in the style of hunter s thompson or something like that you know it's like if you have an identifiable style the the ai can emulate it it's just wild yeah, I'm scared that uh, I like to think that somehow I won't I won't be fooled. Like if you put a couple of um, spec scripts in front of me, you know, two mm. were written, two were written by a human and one was written by ChatGPT, as if I could tell the difference. And I know pretty well that I probably wouldn't be able to. Um, I'm sure that it, it the, the AI is pretty good. There's there's some obvious stuff when like AI Seinfeld goes off the rails with like a transphobic rant in the middle. <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. got it's got some holes. But on the other right. hand. If you're talking about a script, you know, like, I mean, to, to, to dip in and out to some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight, I think a, a chat GPT could write a, a Guillermo del Toro script and it would probably mm. seem pretty indistinguishable from the original uh, original thing. Yeah. It's the new Turing test, basically. Like, yeah, this so. chat GPT thing is, like, yeah, it, it's just crazy that you can get it to write screenplays. Like, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> uh, uh, Steve, have you tried it? Have you tried ChatGPT? No, I'm scared. The, the, <laughs> the closest thing I've seen, like, and I think it's now several, several years old now, was um, there was that short with starring Thomas Middledish before he got canceled, where mm. it, I think it was they, some earlier version of an AI drafted a script and they like shot it. I think I Ooh. sent you a link. Oh yeah, it. I haven't gotten around to seeing it yet. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's called Sunspring, and it's very bizarre. Ooh. Like the dialogue does not. It sounds very AI, and so it's so kind of just interesting. So they stuck to the script. They didn't. Even they, like... Yeah, they stuck to the script, and so oh, it's and so it's just really interesting to see how far it's come since mm. then, or you know, already. Um, and yeah, will it become sentient in a year? Who knows? I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll, find well, yeah, we'll find out. 
Okay, so I guess let's start off this uh, Netflix sampler. Mm. Um, and you you already mentioned it, Bill, uh, Guillermo del Toro. So um, he had two major projects for, for Netflix. Um, the first one I want to cover is um, Cabinet of Curiosities, which isn't really his work. It's more like he's a curator, uh, presenter uh, capacity. Did you watch this, Bill? Yeah, I watched two episodes to get a, okay. to, to get a feel of it, and I followed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll follow Tim Blake Nelson to hell. I love that little bastard. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I watched his episode, and I watched the um, episode with F. Murray Abraham too, where he plays like a, a forensic pathologist. Ooh, okay. So, uh, anything remarkable to say about these episodes? Well, you know, the idea of an anthology TV show or streaming show, we'll call it TV show just for the, yeah. for the nomenclature. Um, right. I mean, it's really interesting, you know, like that's some, one of the basis of TV, uh, you know, Rod Serling and Twilight Zone really established that. And, you know, you had Outer Limits and it's been with us forever, you yeah. know, many lifetimes before we were born. So, I mean, I'm always happy to see somebody go in there. You know, when Jordan Peele had just done a Twilight Zone anthology too, I think it was on um, the CBS streamer that kind of yeah, died. Yeah, I heard it was awful yeah i heard it was awful too um yeah. and, and it was the same thing where i don't think he did much more than produce it and host it mm. um you know it just it, i think this kind of thing can go off the rails pretty uh, pretty fast but um i you know the the two episodes had the exact same palette they were mm. done in the extremely murky digital photography uh milieu that that del toro del toro is known for for working in right um you know the, the idea that Tim Blake Nelson he did a fantastic job as like this this sort of cracker um what was it, like one of them storage wars guys where he would run around and like <laughs> bid on uh you know a dead guy's locker and they would just cut the lock and to see well it's hell's a pop and let's see if there's anything in this thing that could have any value and in his episode it turns out that it was um, he, I think it was like a you know levee satanist kind of thing um, oh, so okay. Yeah, there's all this like weird object dar and junk and stuff like that. But then there winds up being a salt circle in this hidden compartment that has like a desiccated body in the middle of it. Oh, man. <laughs> and naturally, everything goes to shit. They wind up waking some, you know, some Cthulhu god up. Um, it didn't end. Um, I mean, you know, it sets it like what Del Toro does. Again, he didn't create this. You know, he just produced this. But it sets the table for a lot of shit that it doesn't deliver on. I mean, that's always my mm. problem with this guy. Um, right. The one, the one with F. Murray was was F. Murray got to do things that he hasn't gotten. To, I know that he's sort of having a little bit of a renaissance with Mythic Quest and uh, um, White Lotus. Uh, yeah, White Lotus, yeah, fantastic. I know, you know, Murray's never stopped working. He's been on stage. Mm-hmm. He's been in little bits and pieces, but he hasn't been the star of the show since Jesus, what Amadeus? It's been a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, he's a pro. This is just the guy's got a fastball. He's like 75, 80 years old, but the guy has certain sets of skills that just don't atrophy over age. He just, he yeah. just was born to act. Right. So, um, you know, he does a good job with his episode where he plays um, a forensic examiner cutting open a body just to find out that, like, it's not quite dead. It's cursed and it sort of passes on a curse to him as it gets revivified. It's, you know, pretty standard stuff. It, too, yeah. doesn't it doesn't fulfill the promise at the end. So just, you know, just based on that sampler I took of those two uh, things from Captain to <laughs> Curiosities, I, it really reaffirms what I think of Del Toro, which is I keep going to, you know, kick the football and Lucy pulls it out of the way and I wind up tumbling through the air with my little bald head <laughs> cascading through the grass every time. No, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you because, uh, I mean, obviously, it, one of the most recent Oscar winners that everybody forgets is um, yeah. Shape of Water. You know, yeah. it's like the most unremarkable best picture winner in the past like six years. Um, and uh, yeah, like I just even felt with Nightmare Alley, it was like very 
like prestige TV feely. Like that's what it gave me the sense of. Like it, it gave me prestige TV vibes more than a movie. Nightmare Alley had suffered from the same disease uh, that uh, The Shape of Water did, which is where you had a very simple concept that winds up becoming embiggened and expanded with the addition of A-list actors. Right. And, you know, like, I, I don't want to delete the Octavia Spencer part of um, The Shape of Water, but there's a whole civil rights uh, segment of it where they're really arguing this, this sort of racism thing at the dawn of, of, of you know... I guess it was the mid-60s or so. Um, and it's like, I kind of don't see where this fits here. This is a lot to bite off. It's enough to have Richard Jenkins as the sort of gay guy who's kind of living <laughs> living a closeted life with all the pies in his refrigerator. And then, right. you know, Sally there Hawkins. There were some is, Amelie vibes with that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sally Hawkins is like jilling off of the tub thinking about Squid Man and his fish face and everything <laughs> like that. It's it's just so many pieces. It's like, I know why these things are so big. Because because he wants, he writes, the, he expanded Octavia Spencer's role to get her on board because, you know, because of the Oscars and everything like that. Right. And, and say Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett in a pretty small part. And it's like, why is she here? Why does this pop in now? Yeah, I just, I, I, I think that his movies, um, I don't know if it's an organic process to making them, but I just sort of never believe them. When I look at, you know, when I put the whole thing together, I'm like, this is like seven movies and that the Frankenstein sutures barely pulled the pieces together. Yeah. I definitely see that, you know, and he he clearly is a big fan, you know, from his Twitter and like the exhibitions that he's held. Like he had one at LACMA a few years ago. That was amazing. And I think it was called Cabinet of Curiosities as well. Mm -hmm. And it was a great exhibit. You know, it's just like all this memorabilia that he's been collecting over the years and, you know, um, set design stuff from his his own movies, you know. So he clearly cares about the medium. But, yeah, I, I agree that it just... And it's funny how you're saying that it infects the, you know, these individual projects in uh, Cabinet of Curiosities, because that's what I felt, too, because I watched two different episodes from you. And I was also like, yeah, I, that's all I need to see. And then I'm <laughs> I don't need to watch anymore. You know, um, I watched the one with Ben Barnes. Um, and I think it was based on a Lovecraft uh, a short story. Um uh and yeah it was just so forgettable like I don't even remember what it, it was about now like that's how forgettable it was some something to do with a painting or a painter uh <laughs> and then the one that I watched more recently and this was really just because of the cast and then also I am fascinated by this director but he also kind of disappoints me is um uh, Panos Cosmatos Um, yeah yeah, and it's called the viewing and I mean I just like the idea and this ties into my intro earlier that he cast Eric Andre in a more like serious role yeah (laughs) yeah that that potato thing was a a, a Eric Andre sketch (laughs) for those who don't know let's say it it, it was the dialogue of the episode just that says do you think Justin Bieber sprays his DNA all over the ladies in Paris France (laughs) that's a different episode okay good oh man but yeah like um yeah, he cast uh, Eric Andre in um, you know, in a serious role. Charlene Yee's also in it. Shout out to her, you know, yeah. and she's great. And uh, oh man, Peter Weller. Uh, oh, it's yeah, just yeah. such a great cast, you know. And Sophia Butella is also, you know, I mean, she's a great presence. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, but uh, but yeah, Peter Weller, you know, I just love seeing him. And like, he's is he Bill? You you probably have more of a touch with the pulse here. Uh, is he like having have a renaissance right now? Yeah, he's been directing um, 
you know, I'd say for at least 10 or 15 years. He had Kurt Soder let him do a bunch of episodes of Son of Anarchy over on the FX. Oh, nice. So, I mean, he, he gets bits and pieces, uh, piecemeal uh, small acting work. Like, I think he was in Star Trek Into Darkness uh, mm. was his last big feature role that they brought him on simply based on reputation alone. I mean, I guess yeah. I think he does a lot more um, talking and uh, sort of raconteuring about film than maybe working in it per se. Yeah. And then there's all these things of just like revealing that he's some sort of genius or something <laughs> or some sort of renaissance man. Like there's all these facts that are coming out. Yeah. about him yeah uh some i already knew that i knew that he 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 was a jazz musician you know and that like kind of made him perfect for um playing uh william burroughs in, in I, naked lunch i think he's got a either a, a real ass doctorate or an honorary doctorate in renaissance art like he's a real yeah. Ita- italian mm. fan and he mm. he has he has ducked in i forget i think it's at syracuse university in upstate new york one of those places where he's actually taught classes i mean not on a regular oh, right not yeah yeah i've thing, heard this but... too yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like a literature professor. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and he's like one of the most favorite like teachers, like professors in in Syracuse. That's amazing. But yeah, so he's always a welcome presence. And man, like I, the thing about that makes it even more disappointing. I feel like the viewing, aside from the cast being so good and squandered, is that you know Panos Kosmatos, uh, you know, regardless of what you. have feel about his work he's an auteur you know like he has a yeah. recognizable style like you yeah. know you're watching a panos cosmatos film and it's funny how there's been a lot of discussion about like digitizing film grain and you kind of brought it up bill earlier with with them um, uh del toro trying to do his kind of digital so panos has a very unique way of digitizing film grain with his work that it kind of looks like you know grindhouse like grimy films from the 70s and um, the funny thing is that what it brings to mind to me, especially with its, like, I guess just the look of it is the A24 logo, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. when it shows up, like it also has that that feel. And, um, you know, I was into this this short or whatever it is, episode for most of it until like the great reveal. And then I was just like, man, why is this such a letdown? Because I also felt the same way about Mandy. I was like, man, he's so good at buildups. But then when it finally comes to like, paying off like he doesn't go all the way like you know like i need him to like be more extreme like if you're gonna have a chainsaw fight like you know make it feel like there's really something at stake with the chainsaw fight i'm talking about mandy not yes yes, there's no chainsaw fight in in the uh the viewing no but there is one in phantasm 2 people forget that that was the first chainsaw fight yeah Oh, see, yeah, now I got to see that. Actually, that's yeah. the director I want to get into. Uh, Coscarelli? Yeah. Coscarelli, yeah. I, I, I actually have it on deck. Um, I want to watch um, John Dies at the End. That's a, It's uh, a weird movie. It does, again, it, it, it doesn't quite do the whole thing, but it does most of the thing, yeah. All right, well, maybe we'll, we'll have you back, Bill, and we'll we'll do a dive of uh, Don Coscarelli. Uh, yeah, let's see. Yeah. Like, we yeah, can talk, finally have that Beastmaster conversation we wanted to. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And Bubba Hotep. Yeah, yeah. The best dude. Elvis movie, apparently. I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> Boz Lerman's Bubba Hotep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's more coming up on that on the next episode, by the way. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, it's no spoiler then of how we feel about Pinocchio, the next Netflix project that is the one that Del Toro actually directed. So uh, before we started recording, Bill, you said you stopped it at like 20 or so minutes. 
Yeah, uh, it wasn't, and it, this, this is, it, how do I sort of uh, get this out of my throat without it sounding like a choked and strangled um, uh, rationalizing it? It wasn't on the basis of quality because it really was gorgeously done. And mm. I support that, um, you know, the sort of boutique going into stop motion and with the resin cast and it's really yeah. old fashioned, you know, down to the fingertips. Everything about it was craft, and um, I mean, the amount of money that was shot out of a cannon at this thing is great, and that's, you know, all we want is for something like that to happen again. Right. However, uh, you know, like, I I don't give a shit about Pinocchio. I, you know, I watched, <laughs> when, I, when I watched the Disney version of it, I, I had no way, I couldn't even make fucking heads or tails of the Disney version of it, much less mm. something that's somehow more, uh, you know, o- obedient to the Carlo Collodi book. Um, it's just- You're talking it, about the live action one. Yeah, no, no, no. That was no, the, the original cartoon. Oh, I'm sorry. The original yeah. cartoon, not the Zemeckis. Yeah, yeah, because there were two Pinocchios that came out and Disney two, did the live Jesus. action one last year. Yeah. yeah. And what did, well. I mean, uh, what's his name? Roberto Benigni did one of the 90s. That was like right. a, pay, a fucking paycheck <laughs> gig that he did after Life is Beautiful. It's crazy. Oh, man. Uh, no, but the, the, like, again, I, I turned it off because I couldn't stand it. But that's about me. That's not about the movie. Right. Like the, the thing that's, it's so precious. It was like a wind-up, a series of wind-up dolls or an entire room with a wall or four walls filled with cuckoo clocks all waiting to go off at the same point. That's what, I felt like yeah. I was being overwhelmed by all of the del Toro-ness of it. You know, and considering that he had um, the voice talent was so weird, Ewan McGregor didn't really fit in. Tilda Swinton is exactly who you want as like the Blue Fairy. Uh, mm. But 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 who's it? David Bradley, who is in Game of Thrones. He's one of those RSC guys. I love that guy. It's just mm. that he he doesn't connote a warmth for Geppetto. It's such a strange mm. choice to cast him as that role. Um. Yeah. Did you see this, Steve? No. no. Okay. But how do you feel about Pinocchio in general? <laughs> I find it to be a boring story. <laughs> I'm just like I'm just not a fan of that whole. I don't know. Just the even the the conceit of it. It just doesn't interests me enough so yeah like trying to sit through this version which looks like it's aimed more for adults as opposed to the other 2022 version which looks like it's more aimed for families like i could probably sit through the family one probably easier than this one oh okay yeah well that's fair um yeah yeah, i mean I, i i feel both sides um yeah i agree with you guys i also am not really that compelled by pinocchio even with its like you know um servicing me by having a character named after me and you know um it's written by by Carlo Collodi but um but actually that Disney movie I I have a sentimental attachment to it cuz it was like one of the first movies I ever saw and just mm-hmm. like the whole whale sequence was just so enchanting to me you know and I I'll freely admit I also did not continue the Del Toro um version uh, and also, I also felt the same way, Bill. It's like, I felt like it's just me. It's not the movie. Like, I just wasn't connecting it to it emotionally. Like, it, it's also asking you to, like, really be emotional about it from the get-go. Like, it, you know, it features, like, a death at the very beginning of the movie, you know. And I, I just couldn't get on board with it. And But, yeah, I was also impressed by the animation. Like, it reminded me a lot of Henry Selleck, especially... um. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it it lacks Henry Selleck's writing. Like you know the what it, who I don't know if Selleck writes his own stuff or he gets uh, he has a team of screenwriters. Um, Probably but, a little bit of each, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, but the writing of the Selleck movies are really strong, you know. Um, and I mean, he also has like great material to base on. I mean, James and the Giant Peach is fantastic. Um, 
but yeah, it's just uh, yeah, that, that's just how I felt. Like I, I was like, uh, am I just not in the mood for this, or you know, like yeah, am I just not compelled by the story? So it's like, yeah, life is too short. <laughs> well, I exactly. think you know, I come away from this experiment with the idea that, um, and again, I I did not like Crimson Peak. The Haunted House mm. is one of my favorite genres of all time. I, I, I'm sorry to stray from Netflix here, but I'm getting to the point no. about Del Toro. I didn't like Crimson Peak, and I feel like it did real damage to the haunted house genre because it just didn't really care about what I traditionally love about haunted houses. I didn't like The Shape of Water. I, I didn't like Nightmare Alley, and I didn't like these things either. But mm. it's like I go back, and it's like I really liked Hellboy. Hellboy one and two. Yes, fucking good movies. And I just think that there's a, there's I think Del Toro is a guy who no one would ever do this to him anymore because he's too powerful. He's got too much sway. He's swinging his dick around too much. He works <laughs> he works better inside guardrails. I mean, some of these hmm. creatives almost need to be kept from doing uh, the most damage to their own uh, p- pictures. And I think that Del Toro's runaway ambition kind of creeps uh, movies to death rather than um, you know <laughs> makes them successful projects altogether. That's yeah, really good. I like that. Yeah, and I, I feel like also, Bill, you're tapping into the theme of a lot of what we're going to be discussing uh, yeah, uh, yeah. today. Yeah, because it, it is uh, about these auteurs being given these blank checks. Um, and the next one I actually wanted to discuss is that one. Uh, and it, they, they released this like at the very end of the year, like uh, December 28th was when Netflix dropped uh, White Noise. Uh, which is funny because the last Adam Driver movie that was like dropped at like December twenty eighth, I really loved, which was Patterson. Yeah, <laughs> back in twenty sixteen. Oh yeah, you know. So I was hoping that the magic was gonna be there, but uh, yeah, Bill, what are your thoughts on White Noise? I had real hopes for it because I'm sold on Bombback. Uh, okay. You know, look, I'm not a New York Jew, but man, I'm like a New York Jew in spirit. I'm like the kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I lived uh, off of Union Square. I used to see him and Greta like getting their car out of the garage. Like we were not too far away from each other. And I, I mean, I'm a fan of this guy. I've seen all of his movies. There's nothing I don't like about it. And this was the only one, man, that was a complete whiff. It just didn't do a goddamn mm. thing. And I walked away just scratching my head wondering what happened to his usual thing. I mean, even when he did, what was it, kicking and kicking and screaming? Yeah, it's like Mm. from the beginning, he's kind of had a mission and he stayed on it. And he's gone, you know, all over the place thematically to some degree, even stylistically. Uh, But formally, he stayed in a a, a rail. And like his projects have really thrived because of that. And it's like this is... Like an oil painter going for watercolor for one thing. And it's just like the experiment in form didn't work. Um, yeah. He's never directed something as, as broadly farcical as this. With It's so style heavy, so weirdly, um, you know, quirky. And, 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 you know, believe me, there's plenty of quirk. But it's just there was nothing to find here in all these things. I mean, it, right. I just kept thinking this is the same guy who gave us Meyerowitz, which I was one of the few people like I was crazy about Meyerowitz. I love Meyerowitz pro- uh, stories. I saw it at New York yeah. Film Festival that year. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself starving when I was done watching this. And it's like my, me and my wife watched it uh, while we were in New York in the Airbnb we were staying at. We, we looked at each other. Um, I, she might have read the book, too. And and she was just sort of saying, like, I have no idea what the fuck this was about. You know, the, the book wasn't really didn't come across. And it seemed like the movie didn't do its own thing either, for that matter. Yeah. yeah. And full disclosure, if you're you're comfortable sharing it, Bill, your your wife is. A published author, like yeah, she's, yeah. Like, she's, she's got like she's got like five five combination of memoirs and novels. She's got like five or six books out. So yeah, I mean she's yeah something of a professional. Yeah, so she knows what she's talking about. Ah uh, yeah yeah I guess so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shout out. Yeah yeah, um, 
Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Steve, did you watch White Noise? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so I, I how did you feel scene. about it? Um, it felt like it felt like two movies to mm. me. There's the first half about the train accident, and then there's the second half about dealing with Babette and Dylar and the pill. Yeah. And it felt it felt like it, it felt like they were so separate, and I could have used more of the Dylar, honestly, and right. less of the airborne toxic event i felt like that was just in there or i i guess what i'm really curious about is is how did he come or is, how did this happen how did this get written <laughs> just because well, where did they start did they start with the dialogue did they start with the train accident like um it's very confusing to me and i just yeah i like it all to, for me the best scene is the bedroom scene where babette is laying it all out on adam driver's character and explaining it all um, and then that next sequence leading up to when he goes to the motel, like that's where the movie was the most compelling to me. I wish it was, I wish it had more of that essentially. Yeah. And I mean, that question you're asking, which may be an unanswerable question, it, it can't actually be directed to Bombach. It has to be directed to the writer of the novel, Don DeLillo, you know, cause, uh, the, the movie does follow the structure of the book pretty, you know, um, like uh, step mm-hmm. by step. Okay. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really deviate in that way. But yeah, where I think it goes wrong, because I also read the book. I've actually read the book twice. Like I read it like a few years ago because I found it like in a dollar bin. And, you know, it, it, it has like this reputation about it. And I was like, OK, I got to read it. Like it's considered to be a modern classic. And um, I was just. Okay, it's a it's an all right book. Like it was competently written. <laughs> I can't believe I'm I'm tearing into the little <laughs> like this. Like one of the greatest, considered to be one of the greatest American writers of all time. But <laughs> uh, I like Amazon's. By the way, Amazon's is a great Delillo book. If people haven't heard of it, this is an obscure book uh, about a female hockey player, and he writes it under a pseudonym. Um, uh, it, it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, White Noise, I read it and then I reread it when I knew this movie was coming out. Like I was just like, okay, I got to go back and, and see. Yeah. And I, I also, you know, I, I like the idea of comparing, especially, you know, White Noise is a very readable book. It's like um, most of the early chapters are very short. You know, they're only a couple of pages long. And then there's that long uh, middle sequence, which is basically um the evacuation and like them being in the um what is that the the shelter uh mm-hmm. so that that takes up a, a huge chunk of the book and then the final third and you know people are talking about like how it's a very like it's hard to adapt or unadaptable which i found strange because it you know it it works as episodes you know there's uh but i won't will only agree with the the last part because the last part uh, with the like when he goes to like confront um the supposed guy the gray man <laughs> that uh, yeah. uh Babette is having an affair with you're not quite sure whether it actually happened or not and that's really hard to do you know that's the whole you know issue with adaptation you know movies mm. versus literature is that there's a specificity in movies you know it's like it's this guy it's this actor playing this guy whereas you know you can be a little more vague in literature, you know, like the guy can be faceless, you know, he can be just a gray man. And, um, Dream kind of yeah, thing. exactly. Like you, you can just uh, be more expressive with the words. Um, but, uh, yeah, with literature, I mean, with film, it's just like, yeah, it's Adam Driver and it's this actor playing the gray man, you know, like he actually goes there. And I will say too, like, um, one of the 
positives of the film that I actually enjoyed was the um the cinematography of um Lol Crawley. Like he's a really mm-hmm. talented cinematographer and mm-hmm. there's a sequence actually that I don't remember in the book that they expand on in the movie, which is when they escape with the the station wagon and then you know it's made a joke of with the it floating away on the river mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing it's in the trailer but um yeah i thought that was really well done um but yeah like i'm i'm agnostic with with noah bombach like i think i need to like go back and and watch his movies again i think i was too young when i first started watching his movies uh but like i feel like uh, kicking and screaming will definitely resonate with me more now yeah. And um, uh, not to be confused with the Will Ferrell movie, by the way. This yeah, is <laughs> that's what that's what I was getting confused about yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is the movie with Olivia Diabo, and if you don't know who Olivia Diabo is, she is oh, man. She should have been a bigger star. I feel. Um, yeah. So and then also, yeah, I remember enjoying um, uh, Squid and the Whale, but I just remember also just being bogged down with people responding to me by saying like. You enjoy how cynical that movie was, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, but Jeff, you know, uh, Jeff Daniels was fantastic. Like, it's one of his Jesse best Eisenberg was fantastic. In yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it was very Kafka esque. Yeah, that's right, Carla. Let me let me mention because you know, what, what, <laughs> upon upon you know thinking of this movie and and the premise, and then seeing mm-hmm. the, the movie that was made from the book. I'm, in my head, I'm reverse engineering a novel that it's almost like a Vonnegut book, right? And I've read, read plenty of those. Yeah. And Vonnegut is a guy who also defies adaptation. Yeah. Other, other than Slaughterhouse Five, I don't think there's really been any uh, honest to God uh, good. <laughs> well, Breakfast of Champions has its defenders, by the way. Yeah, I, I yeah. want to. I want to see that, especially with all the Bruce Willis stuff that's been going right. on. Right. You know, right. Uh, I mean, you know, there's been bits mm. and pieces. They made Harrison Bergeron uh, short films and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but you know, like on its face. You know, like I've I've definitely seen a lot of that. Um, I can't remember who starred in the Slaughterhouse Five uh, adaptation from the seventies, but Valerie yeah. Perrine was in it. Um, again, it's like that book is perfect because it does things in the book that you don't question. And it's like I can imagine reading this book by Delillo, and it would seem oh, naturally these things. A, a professor of Hitler studies that has yeah. a place inside of here, and I'm not blanching <laughs> at it like I'm blanching at it in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's it, it's it's this weird thing. I think it lulls like filmmakers into thinking that they can adapt it because there is like a literal like um, analog to it. But it's the fact that it's on the page and that makes it like absurd for some reason. You know yeah. that it's like oh, it, it it's rooted in reality, but it's like there there's some sort of like I mean one of my favorite like Vonnegut short stories is um uh, the Long Walk to Forever. I think is the title. Where it's just like basically about a a couple who broke up and they they take this walk and you know that seems like and you've you've see, I've seen like people try to adapt it on YouTube like you know they make their own short film about it mm. and yeah they just take it too literally like you know they they forget about like the figurative aspects of it and maybe that's really what's clashing with Bombach is that you know um that yeah he obviously cares about this this book and you know it it means something to him but it's clashing with his own like approach to things like you know how he approaches the material is different from how delillo approached yeah. writing it you in know in fact there may be um of all the people we're going to talk about i don't know if there's a bigger literalist here than Baumbach. and that, to mm. be fair that's probably one of the reasons why i vibe with him so much is because i don't find myself breadcrumbed through uh Baumbach movies wondering where i am and what the characters want all that stuff is absolutely clear from moment to moment from beat to beat yeah. but this is something that's a lot more 
you know, hazy. There's sort of something kind of weird, stylistically mystical about what's going on. And there's a lot more that, you know, in terms of like, it almost seems like there's a supernatural pall hanging over this whole thing. And then the surreality of the college situation with Hitler studies and all that makes it extremely non-literal. And that's, yeah, something that Baumbach just doesn't excel at. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I think, yeah, another thing that, that clashes is, you know, his kind of style of line delivery it's not how I felt when I was reading the Don DeLillo book. Like, I didn't imagine the characters speaking that way that they do, you know, in the movie. So that was another thing that was just clash. And I mean, you know, I, I, Patterson converted me to Adam Driver. I'm like, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think he's a good actor. But he has limited range, you know. And I think this is one of his worst performances. You know, I, I really think he's terrible at this I, movie. I, you know, I think it's yeah. his movie. I think his charisma. Um, I confuse his range or lack thereof with his charisma, which is mm. considerable. And so I've never questioned from the moment I saw Driver on Friends in episode one of season. Not, not Friends, sorry, Girls. Girls, Epi- yeah. Episode one, season one, I'm like, I said, I pointed at the screen. He's, he's shirtless running around like doing carpentry or woodworking or something like that. That guy's a fucking star. They're just waiting yeah. for him. I've never seen him before, but he's going to blast big. And he did because mm. there's just something, you know, he's a physical, um, large, there's a gangly weight to what he does. And it's charisma. It's definitely charisma. Yeah. I don't know if it's range, but like you said, but Patterson is exactly that. It's a great use of that charisma in this. Absolutely. In, in, and who who the hell would have guessed that him and um, Jim Jarmusch would have vibed together? I know, like I was just like I was totally shocked, and the fact that he did it before the Star Wars movie oh, yeah, was right. crazy. You know, it's just yeah. like, um, and yeah, Jarmusch admits that he's never seen a Star Wars movie apparently. So you know, it's like, what was his basis? Girls? Like, I guess that was really it. Because uh, oh, he did that, he did that Midnight Special, right? With um, oh that. right, yeah, that was yeah, pretty yeah. awesome too. Yeah, he he's kind of had like a Rob Pattinson like path of choosing projects which i like yeah. you know he's choosing like specific auteurs that have a style you know with jeff nichols and um yeah baumbach obviously they've, they've collaborated together a couple of times uh, how did you feel about marriage story by the way Bill? oh <laughs> I, 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 that was right you know that was right up my alley i marriage story other than the fact that it was heavily uh los angeles inflected which is mm. I, I, that's that, not that i i love los angeles but it's like that's not noah baumbach's place to be naturally sure. he's really at home in brooklyn or manhattan i feel like that's where he gets his power from like when you you pack the coffin of a vampire with the earth of his birthplace you know that's where yeah. he, der- he derives his strength from um <laughs> but i you know i thought the, the fact that that turned into a meme uh, this is another netflix movie too wasn't it uh if i'm yeah, not mistaken yeah, he, yeah, three right. in a row that he's done for netflix yeah that's true he got all that yeah. money i know I, <laughs> I liked i liked it quite a bit i thought that was a really good relationship between him and scarlett johansson i thought it was completely yeah. believable i love the fact that it started off with all this real detail of um their married life where he would turn off the lights and he would leave the room because he was such a you know a, a person who was assiduous about making sure they didn't use too much electricity and um, and the scene where um, she's trying to divorce him by putting a letter and then like later on, Julie Haggerty does all this stuff where she's still taking his side. And I really believe that. I mean, there was so many great little, you know, curly cue details about that movie that struck me as, again, being the literalist thing, not outside of his form, but completely inside of his form and style. It was like a movie he was born to tell. Okay. Well, yeah, I think, Bill, you've convinced me and maybe... Steve, you know, we can go back and watch the other <laughs> Bombach Netflix projects. Sure. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I've never seen either, actually. I mean, you know, obviously with the uh, marriage story, it's kind of been ruined for me with the yeah. with the constant memeing. 
it's too bad. Yeah, I saw it over my wife's shoulder. Like she was watching it on her laptop, and I was just kind of like, I was just, I was really noticing just how realistic the fights seemed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, it's good. I'm curious though. Uh, before we move off of white noise. Were you guys lost at all with some of the dialogue between, especially between Don Cheadle and Adam Driver? Like at times I was trying to hone in on what the subtext was and what they were trying to talk about, but I felt like, I don't know, like maybe it was a little too highbrow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I maybe I was just in a general cloud, I mean, on theme with the movie. I think I, 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 think I lost a lot of it because I was just trying to parse through it literally. But it, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it just running around breadcrumbing trying to hear what they say and assuming that they mean what they say didn't really give you a lot of traction to drag right. you along through the plot in terms of what the characters were doing what they wanted i will agree with you in there steve yeah 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 and i i think i had the benefit of reading the book so i have mm-hmm. more context with it you know like there's definitely a lot i think the the murray character is more fleshed out in the book um and just like the connections between like he lives in this kind of halfway house with the the guy that uh, Adam Driver's character is learning German from, so there's that like weird connection. Like there's there's all these things, and like I don't know, he he was a familiar character to me in the book in terms of a guy who's basically like kind of dirt poor, but he's like very intellectual at the same time, and he tends to mm. let himself go, you know, and that's why he's kind of living in a halfway house because it's just you know he he's not paying his bills and like kind of just focus on intellectual pursuits. So I, right. I know a character like that very well. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I feel like mm. both of these characters would be well suited in the modern age. With, with where you know, I feel like both of these professors would have like Substacks and a podcast, and, <laughs> and some, like, the Hitler crazy, podcast. Yeah, oh, that would be crazy a fan base yeah. that's like very <laughs> Hitler cancelable studies. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it kind of it, it's sort of a uh, it's sort of. Um, celebrates the idea of what a professor can be. And I just don't know if it's like, you know, it seems like I don't know any professors that actually could perform like these two, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a larger than life thing. Like it's exaggerated for, for the book and I guess for the movie, but I don't think a bomb box, but like um, speaking of, you know, the past projecting the future, I mean, how, like prescient was it for it to predict the East Palestine? Totally uh, sick. What? what a, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you do you guys remember like right before nine eleven? Uh, actually, right after nine eleven, there was a plot of a Tom Clancy book that had a Japanese airline pilot uh, takes his plane and points it towards the White House as a retribution for something that happens inside the Tom Clancy book. Like I think Japan at one point got fucked by the U.S. intelligence apparatus, and so he goes on a kamikaze mission where he drives into the White House. And granted, it's not the same thing as 9-11, but mm. uh, Tom Clancy got phone calls from, like, the CIA. <laughs> like, kind of <laughs> like, like, can you tell us anything about this? Is there anything that might be an unfortunate? Because it was like the book you wrote a year ago almost, like, came exactly one for one true uh, down in D.C. No, yeah. there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's that whole, like, conspiracy of like simpsons predicting the future whatever you may have it like it's is there i mean you know people were even running parallels with the you know the toxic airborne event being like you know the pandemic and all that so uh there are definitely those those parallels uh with it and i I will just say my final thought on it is like i did really enjoy the music video at the end of the lcd sound system (laughs) song um and the the whole 
choreographed uh, dancing in the supermarket. Like, I thought that was... Mm -hmm. I wish the movie was more that. (laughs) That's really... Mm -hmm. You know, I would have enjoyed it a lot more, I feel. Of all the things to get James Murphy to come out of retirement for, that was it. It's really strange. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, on the subject of blank checks, uh, the next one is, like, probably the most... I'd say indulgent of all the black check movies that Netflix did last year, and that's um, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu's uh, Bardo. Yeah, which has a long subtitle that I, I don't even want to bother to remember. <laughs> Some sort of <laughs> forgotten truths. Um, yeah, let, let's go with Steve first with this. So, Steve, how did you feel about Bardo? That first shot is amazing. <laughs> I really liked the guy jumping in the air and the shadow. Um, and then after that, it's, uh, like, like my only thought is it'd be fun to put on mute in the background of a party 15 years ago, um, and just kind of let it play. (laughs) But, um, I had to scrub through a lot of it. I was, I, I was fidgeting. It was making me uncomfortable. I, yeah, like I could barely watch this one. Okay. Yeah. All right, and with that, Bill, how do you follow that up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think my I didn't even bother trying. I um, oh, I, wow. I, I took I took the uh, yeah I took the L on this one just because <laughs> I knew that um, there are some elements in Yoritu's filmmaking which really work for me, and then there's his predilection towards um, again the weird mysticisms and these strange Oniaric. Uh, sequences and and whatever his themes are never speak to me. Um, I need I do need there to be a core of literalism through a movie. And you know when I first heard that he cast was a Daniel uh, Daniel Jimenez Cacho, which yes. was you know he and he last time I saw him was of course in um, Zama, and yeah. Zama was another movie that was extremely non literal and it was Oniaric and it was all these things. And Zama didn't really work for me as much as some other movies that Lucretia Martel did. But I saw that you know you cast that man very particularly because you're looking for something from him. He yeah. gives you this thing from his movies, and you know he's a top down actor, um, and and so. I kind of knew that based on what everybody said, our common friend uh, James Hancock had done a review when this came out at the New York Film Festival. And and he sort of, without spoiling it, laid it all out saying, if you like this kind of movie, then you're going to like this. But if this is the sort of thing that loses you, there's not much here for you. You're not going to be able to hold on with white knuckles to anything that's going on because it's so non-concrete. And so I just didn't even bother trying. I did not want a, a sort of quizzical experience, and I didn't want a bad review. Again, it has more to do with me. I just don't think that this was worth me dishing on it as if he made a bad film, because I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure it's an indulgent film. And I would probably yeah. find myself angry with uh, just the fact that he did whatever fit into his head that Netflix gave him a you know gigantic fire hose of cash to, to you know, make whatever he wanted and that probably would have made me irritated and i just rather than having that experience i just absented myself gotcha uh and you know you mentioned before we started recording that you love amores peros so where did it like start to turn for you like where you you feel like you dropped off the 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 um, inaritu bandwagon well um you know when he made revenant I thought there there are two different movies here. There's a lot of impulses that were competing inside Revenant, and you know, and I the problem was is that Revenant was so much driven by DiCaprio and his want of an Oscar, which essentially prevailed. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but in the middle of it were all these great actors and he shot up in the Canadian wilderness and, and you know, like it was a hard thing to shoot uh, with all those, ca- the camera, the way that, um, that um, uh, what's it, Lubezki shoots those movies. It's it's very labor intensive. It's gorgeous, you know, but it's yeah. a lot of tracking shots and there's things like that. And that was, that was a bitch of a shoot. Mm. Sometimes the bitch of a shoot creates a real wonderful film. And on the other hand, I, it seems like the entire bitch of a shoot was really in service of DiCaprio giving this lead weight performance of just like every single moment had to be him suffering for eternity just so you can see how much he can act and you know the irony is that DiCaprio gets the Oscar for that movie which winds up being something we don't even talk about anymore it winds up becoming a punchline or an afterthought in retrospect and it's like DiCaprio did his best work in the last two Tarantino movies much more free-flowing a lot looser Mm. and a director who clearly knows how to run him and keep him human and humorous and light which is I think where DiCaprio's skills lend best and so I think it was that competing impulses on Revenant where it's like, maybe I wanted the Tom Hardy version. Maybe I wanted no CGI bear, but I really liked everything about it. He was going for without being overwhelmed by him saying, we're going to get you that Oscar. It's coming. Right. Wow. So you, you, you dropped out late in the game. So you're a, you're a Birdman fan. You like that movie? Birdman, yeah. You know, like the, I, I, the whole idea, and this is, again, this is a tip or I had to something coming up later in the episode maybe, but the idea of doing the one-take thing that was uninterrupted, it seemed like it was a novel, not that it had never been done before, but it was a novel approach that it didn't seem to weigh the movie down with a lot of limits in terms of having to stick to that format. It, it was it wound up being thrilling. And again, Michael, Michael Keaton was a great grounding force because he's exactly not the kind of actor you would think would work with a guy like that. Michael Keaton delivered. He, he completely showed up and gave yeah. you something that he didn't in his he didn't give you before in his career. Maybe the kind of performance from an actor that Indrito didn't have from even after that. So it was something special about it. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I actually dropped off uh, by the time ba- Babel came out. Like, that was oh, really, oh dang. Yeah. <laughs> that was That's an old one. That early in the game, but yeah, I just remember too. Like one of my distinct memories was. Uh, it was my first time in LA in like over a decade. Like the last time I was in LA was was when I was a kid. Like I was seven years old. So I was visiting LA for the first time. Um, so I don't know. I didn't know where everything was, but I just remembered I actually looked for the arc light on Sunset Boulevard to watch Twenty One Grams, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize that I w- I was like basically plopped like a mile away from it. I thought it was like short walking distance, and I just walked the length of, uh, um of Sunset Boulevard just to get there and like uh it was worth it because I also found you know um Amoeba across the street and it's just ironic talking about it now because both of those places are now gone and like um you know uh Cinerama Dome is just an empty husk right now oh, man um but yeah and you know talking about the Tarantino movie too the Leo yeah you know it's featured prominently in that and that's where actually where I saw it so um uh yeah and I was actually down for for 21 grams as like you know uh, grueling as emotionally as the movie is, like you know, and I, I actually have, I I bought the Blu-ray from the dollar bin, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, I'm waiting to rewatch it again, you know, because I'm like wondering if it still holds up, because I, I, you know, as things progress, and I think that was really it. Like I, I'm really more of a Guillermo Arriaga fan than than Iñárritu, because they were like early collaborators, and he's like largely responsible for you know, these time-fractured scripts and, you know, um, uh, Inarito eventually moved away from it. Um, But, uh, like, with the... With 21 Grams, like, I... I, 
I just loved how it still made sense to me as fractured as it was. You know, that's mm. my memory of it. But I, I know I'll have to see again if it still holds up. It's been so long. I mean, I, mm. I haven't seen it since it came out in 2003. So that's how long ago it was. Um, 20 years. Uh, but yeah, like when Babel came out, I was just like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, you know, I was just like, you know, all these forced connections and, you know, it's still a script by Ariaga and just like people doing stupid shit. Like, you know, the, the, um, that's the worst, the maid, like crossing the kids over the border was just like, to me, like the dumbest thing. Like, I was just like, oh my God. Like, um, but anyway, yeah. So I dropped off. Like I was just like, and then I heard bad things about beautiful. So I was like, fuck that shit. And then, yeah, when. It's it's a weird thing with with and I I'm I'm getting to my point about Bardo here, but like it's a, the trajectory of Inaritu when he started like winning these awards, and like um was also I think when like people started to resent him, it's like that crab mentality of like people are not liking his success, so it's like oh they're shitting on Inaritu films, you know. Um, I think uh, one of the more famous critics for doing that is, uh, and he's been lambasted on Twitter for it, is uh, Adam Naiman, who's who's one of my favorite critics. Like, I really enjoy reading his his work, even if I don't agree with him completely. But um, but yeah, it's this whole thing of like this movie. Even though you know Danielle Jimenez Cacho is is you know cast as a journalist, it still feels like it's a surrogate for for Inaritu, and it's like him kind of answering back to his critics with this movie and he you know there's all these like flights of fancy and figurative things going on which are my the parts that i enjoy but when it's like it's being so didactic with like these endless dialogue scenes like one scene that is so insufferable in the movie is is he has this long dialogue at breakfast with his son Mm. and that scene just goes on forever like and it's all done in like a you know a like almost like a fisheye lens like it's distorted like um uh like uh wide angle lens um and the camera never moves like it's just like yeah i and you know steve i didn't have the benefit of scrobbling like you did because i saw it in the theater (laughs) so i there was no escape and i was the only person in the theater by the way it was just me yeah i was all alone and i mean i guess i could have walked out but like i paid for it because like it it wasn't covered by my like amc's a list like you know because netflix and amc have this weird thing where you know they don't show their movies uh so i had to actually go and pay out of pocket uh to another theater to see it and um man yeah and like i was just hope because i think the second scene of the movie is really where you know whether you're gonna stay with this movie or not which is basically the baby comes out and it talks and it says it, it wants to go back in the womb and I don't right. know how many people are willing to like be on board with that, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, I just um, yeah, I felt like all the dialogue scenes, yeah, it felt like it was just weighing it down so heavily. Um, there, there's another part where, because you know, it really is also his reckoning about like being a Mexican, you know, uh, immigrant in in L.A., you know, which I liked. I liked the, the those aspects, like him taking the train. And all those things, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just um, there's something about like if if the movie just took out all the dialogue scenes, and I, I I wrote kind of a cheeky review about it on on Letterbox where I said like you know I want to just make a fan edit of it where I take all the dialogue scenes out mm-hmm. and like see how it holds up, you know, and like maybe it might just be like this visual feast, you know, and you're just enjoying the camera work and 
all those things. But yeah, man, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, and and you know the whole fact that I, I also don't. I'm not convinced of the strength of his convictions because, you know, he originally made this a three-hour movie and, you know, people reacted terribly to it and he cut it down. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe you're not that <laughs> sold on your, your own work, right. you know? Oh, man. So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like this is the kind of movie that you would almost have to see it in the theater. Like, yeah. it's not conducive as a streamer. Yeah. Just because, um, yeah, it's going to make you... It's going to make, I think, a lot of people antsy. Right. And then if you're watching it on a, God forbid, on your phone, you're just going to, you're just going to like, <laughs> yeah, turn scrub it or, yeah. s- or, or skip out of it or right. do whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, uh, yeah. So I bet you probably did have the advantage of, of appreciating it more being in the theater. Yeah, but it, it was a slog too. <laughs> it was, yeah. Like I imagine like seeing Gene Dealman in a theater mm. Where you're like locked in. Okay, I'm not watching this on my phone. I'm, you know, you can kind of get into it a little better than. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like Jim Dillman is definitely a, a theater experience too. But, uh, yeah. I, Bill has spoken at length about this. So we won't get into. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, uh, yeah. Sure. Oh, oops. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Continuing on that line of of blank checks, uh, <laughs> I, I almost forgot about the biggest blank check that Netflix delivered, which was. For Ryan Johnson to, um, you know, make two more uh, Knives Out movies for almost half a billion dollars, you know, <laughs> and um, you know, obviously, Steve, we dedicated a whole episode to this, but I, I am curious, Bill, like, uh, what are your thoughts on Glass Onion? I like Glass Onion. I mean, I it, it didn't seem like the the gimcrack invention that the first movie was, where you really hadn't seen something like an old fashioned Agatha Christie, nineteen seventies, you know, Columbo style detective thing coming at you. This was telegraphed and it delivered on all the bits and pieces it was telegraphed for like the cast was announced almost like it was the starting roster of like the all-star team piece <laughs> by piece um right. you know every time it was dribbed and drab that you're gonna get oh now here's kate hudson and here's bautista you know and here's it's like okay i get it i see what you're going for with these actors it's not the most it's not the greatest chemistry however these people we like these people separately but together it's going to be a weird chemical mix but we'll see what johnson can do um you know, the thing is, is that I, I feel like he has a real uh, enthusiasm and, and, you know, like he's galvanized with, with Dan Craig. And Daniel Craig is, I think he's a fun actor. He's got this uh, side he wants to show. He, he's loose really well. Uh, he does comedy. Remember how funny he was in uh, Logan Lucky when he played Joe oh, Bang? Yeah. I mean, so d- good. Dude, he, he just like... I, He's got this thing where it's like clearly he wants to do baroque things. He he has a really mm-hmm. fucking specific sensibility, and you know playing Benoit Blanc is it fits into that. I think that like why are you spending billions on this though? Is it all above the line to get all these actors? Because it's like most of this was shot on green screen. I mean there was a lot of this. You know they didn't actually build a real glass onion for Christ's sake. I think they did yeah. shoot it somewhere in Greece, but I mean. You know, I just watched The Last of Sheila a couple of weeks before this in preparation for it. And, you know, I can't imagine The Last of Sheila, which, I mean, if, if you're not familiar with it, it, it has a lot to do with this. It's a murder mystery set on a yacht in the Greek islands. And Ryan Johnson tipped his hat to it in a lot of podcast appearances. Yeah. And that, too, had a, star, a star-studded cast led by James Coburn. And it's like, well, for the amount of money that they made that movie, um, uh, Last of Sheila... 
Uh, I could you, you could have made you could have made eighteen last of shields for what it costs for one glass onion. I just don't know what you get for your money here. And I ultimately, like I said, I, I liked it. I, I was happy with it. I'm always happy to see these actors, even if they didn't mesh together well. But I, I started to get a little melancholy at the end because I feel like we're going to get a little bit of that James Cameron phenomenon, which is like, why are you spending so much time making these? And not all the varied films you could otherwise be making in different subjects. Because, you know, so far, Ryan Johnson, like, played hopscotch through a lot of weird places. You know, stopping off of Star Wars for one of those, doing Looper, and I don't know. I mean, you may not like all these movies, but I feel like he gives you a pretty good sense of uh, genre hopping from place to place. He's a clever guy. But I think, you know, like three Glass Onion movies is going to take us through close to six years of film. And it's like, these are prime years. He should be doing other things rather than taking Netflix's money and giving us weird shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, he he's pretty much set for life with, you know, this in combination with taking that Star Wars paycheck. You know, so yeah, like, sure. uh, yeah, so I understand the hustle. But at the same time, yeah, it's like, by the way, Carlo, you mentioned before about grain, um, you know, in yeah. terms of Panos Cosmatos was, was adding mm-hmm. his own grain. Uh, he the, the thing is about Ryan Johnson he too is a movie wonk he's a photography nerd and he's got yeah. a guy I think his DP the two of them together actually wrote the algorithm for the, the grain algorithm so he has a proprietary <laughs> grain algorithm Jeez. that he's been using for like three films now that's supposed to give the digital look a little bit more of the analog thing um, that's and I, mean, I never even noticed it I know I didn't notice it either but I like the detail <laughs> even if I don't really it's not really doing it it's not representing right. the work but it is there yeah, yeah. gotcha Ooh. All right. Well, that's good to know. He has a propriety <laughs> grain algorithm. I didn't I know. even know you needed that. What but, the uh, fuck? I know. What the hell? Man? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've expressed our thoughts on, on Ryan Johnson and, and the Gla- and the Knives Out movies um, uh, to an extent. But, you know, I'm glad that, you know, it, you enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I did mention that in the previous episode that I'll, I'll probably watch the next Ryan Johnson thing, even though I haven't gotten into his... Um, because yeah. I don't have Peacock um, Poker Face uh, as much as I like. Uh, it's it's like a new Ryan Johnson movie is almost like a new burger joint that's opening, and it ha- it looks really good, like like the structure, the vibe. It has everything on the menu that you want, and then you sink your your teeth in, and it's like pretty good. Yeah, but it's but but yeah. it's just it's not like the like that Wow Burger, and yeah, but it's I... like. But it's billed that way. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, like it's, it's like it's like now he's kind of averaged his career out. What was that second movie he made? The Solomon Brothers. That the uh, no. Brothers Bloom. Brothers Bloom. Right. So Solomon yeah. Brothers was a comedy with Bob Odenkirk. I think <laughs> that was a pretty good one too. No, the Brothers <laughs> Bloom is the same thing where it's like, oh wow, it's the guy who made Brick and he's giving us this thing, and it's like, and it's kind of just befuddling, and it's all mm-hmm. right. It's got actors we like, and yet it's not really doing the thing we expect. It's just okay. And I feel like mm-hmm. now we probably have as many of those as we do the you know the real loopers the thing that are, are I mean, even loopers not a great movie all the way through no but it does a lot of great work that hints at how good this guy could be if he got his fucking you know yeah. concentration yeah. together i i mean i almost feel like he would benefit from more detractors and like a failure yeah <laughs> like well, i think he would yeah because yeah, he's just surrounded by yes people and like people who are telling him he's a genius 
I know, but it, that's, like, well, that's the, I think the worst thing, the detraction that happened because the specific flavor of the detraction on Last Jedi was such that um, he became a little alloyed against criticism under the idea that it was just anti-Asian and anti-queer stuff. And right. it, it allowed him to sidestep all that and say, I don't have to take any of that seriously. So he has the yeah. volume of people giving him hate. I mean, the hate on the work. But he's also, I think at the same time, he was able to say, but I could ignore everything valid in anything they say, film criticism, because those are a bunch of trolls who live in basements. And yes, I think you're right. He Twitter comes in at, a nutshell. <laughs> he, right. Well, he, he, he comes out of that experience without really having altered his perception about what might have worked about the film and what didn't. Because yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to complain about The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Just you know, without Kelly Marie Tran having anything to do with any of it, for God's oh, yeah. sake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you, you succinctly put it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like he's going strength from strength, at least like financially and yeah. um critically. So um yeah. Uh maybe when he's older, when people are past it, they're like, Oh yeah, Ryan Johnson's so passe, like, you know. He'll make that that movie that I'll be like, yeah, I I, I can uh, champion this. Like, this is the Ryan Johnson movie I've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah. Can see yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move away from these blank check projects and um, into like I guess what the meat of uh, what I wanted to tap into. And this is you know basically with Netflix, like everybody was super critical of them last year, and they even to start the year this year, you know, with the crackdown on password sharing. And, you know, that that idea of just throwing money at these these, you know, auteur projects. Um, but the, the thing that gave me hope last year was actually that the international projects were pretty good, you know, like that, like all the ones that I, I saw, I thought were, you know, at least a solid four stars, you know, uh, or more. And I mean, you know, one of them, which I want to hear your thoughts on Bill later, we've championed several times on this podcast already. Uh, but the one I want to get into first, though, uh, relating to the number four is The Big Four, the Indonesian mm. movie by... Um, Bill, you can probably pronounce his name a lot better than I can. What is it? Why? Because I speak Bahasa? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, Indonesia was a Dutch colony. You know, that I'm is making true. that connection. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I, I, yeah, actually, I looked it up because I wanted to know... Actually, I like this guy a lot. He's, he's got a great mm. Twitter personality. He's actually engages with people. He's got something to say. Timo... Nice. Uh, Chayanto, Timo Chayanto. Okay, nice. And he had previously Sweet. made The Night Comes for Us, uh, which I was uh, uh, middling on. And I think because it's just the the raid effect. It's just, I'm sorry. It's like, uh, that's really more on me than him. It's just, uh, you know, the raid <laughs> is just such a dynamic action movie. Like, I expect every movie <laughs> to be that way. And yeah. uh, the big, yeah. and um, uh, uh, what is it? Um, the night comes for us. It's it's a lot more deliberately paced. The fights, like you, it dwells on the pain a lot more. I feel than mm. than the raid movies do, you know. Um, and I I I just didn't know what was you know like uh, what came at me at that time. But going into this movie, which is more of an action comedy, I felt like it actually worked. Like the pacing of the action, the way he paces it, is very different from from. Um, uh, I, I keep getting confused. Uh, is it Gareth Evans or Gareth Edwards? Gareth <laughs> Hugh uh, Evans. Gareth Hugh Evans. Evan, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I get, uh, yeah, like he, their pacing is very different. But for the comedy, like it really works um, mm. in uh, in the big four. And, you know, how did you feel about it, Bill? 
Uh, well, like I said, I'm a big fan of him, and um, I actually went to Indonesia last year for the first time. I, I blew through Jakarta Airport just to transfer from flights out to Raja Ampat. Um, so I kind of felt like uh, I, you know, I've been waiting to go to this this archipelago for a long time. And, uh, you know, there are very few representatives of world cinema that have come out of Indonesia that have, like, especially in the sort of coarse action vein, these, you know, that doesn't happen every day. That's why I, yeah. I think you've got to champion a guy like this because he's, he's got something to say and he really is like L.A. Hollywood ready. He's exactly the kind of talent you're looking for when you're talking about breaking people from other non-English um milieus i th- th- this didn't work for me as well as other stuff i've seen only because i i think what you're saying that the idea of the action comedy maybe i thought i was going to get a chan movie out of this where the, <laughs> yeah. the, the two pieces were fused together a little more subtly but there's such an ultra violence in between <laughs> the weird goofy like jack blackism right. of guys that the, the weird guy with the blonde hair like falling over there's some silliness there's some outright yeah. like silliness uh, but then, then there's scenes where like guys are getting atomized by machine gun fire, <laughs> and it, it was really hard to reconcile men being turned mm-hmm. to goo by ordnance with how charming and and like the, the lead actor was. I, I can't remember his name at the moment, but like he really yeah, he, he yeah. yeah he cast this correctly. The old man who played the boss has that sage energy you expect. I've seen him in a million. He's got that uh, just three days to retirement energy. I love that shit. Um, yeah, the bad guys, you know, with the sort of uh, Anglo woman was that? I think there was an Anglo. No, maybe I'm thinking of the last movie. Um, in terms mm. of they, like being a real bad bitch, you know, woman who's just like rest, dressed dressed in latex. Um, had, had all these pieces. I just felt like stitching the two tones together was a wild exercise, and I found myself, you know, just really wanting this thing to work more for me every single minute of it. Gotcha. Oh, okay, so. Um, in your let uh, letterbox like rating, mm-hmm. what would have what would it have been like? Was it three? Uh, yeah, I gave it three out of five, just because. Okay. Yeah, there's just such a natural enthusiasm, and um, I mean, it's contagious. Like he is so. I mean, he, like he's made a bunch of films in Bahasa out there in Jakarta for years. He's been working. You know, he definitely knows what to do. And he had some crossover uh, even before. I mean, maybe it was right around Night Comes for Us. He did VHS. I think VHS 3, and then he did mm. last year, man, VHS 94, which was so unheralded, I kind of stopped watching the VHS movies, and then VHS 94 was this conscious throwback using the, you know, again, it's not just the arc, the, um, um, the style of that, the, the, the artifacting of the VHS tapes, but it actually made it seem like it was set in something that would have been filmed in 1994. His chapter was such a devious body horror, like straight up creepy, creepy, creepy man being turned into a robot thing. Um, and it, oh, it felt like it could have been a cousin with RoboCop. And I was like, that's the thing that made me say, okay, he's, he's not just Night Comes for Us, which is like you say, it's a very deliberately paced... Um, almost like consciously looking over at someone else's work to make sure he's following the plan of what the raid was doing. But I think right. his, nat- his natural impulse, like he's going to explode with something really big that's going to just hit in English um, with probably a lot of Western actors soon. I think it's going to work. I, don't, yeah. I just don't think the big four was it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, but it, it, it does feel like it's it's that calling card. And um, yeah, I also just want to shout out Putri Marino, like, gorgeous like she i mean i've I've seen her in another indonesian Mm -hmm. before called possessive i think that was her first movie uh, who's also 
it's also a Netflix movie, actually, um, directed by a guy I used to like, but I think he's been making like kind of middling movies lately. Edwin, one name, that's his only name. He's very, <laughs> very hard to Google, but uh, Edwin's short films are amazing. Uh, and yeah, he, he discovered her in that movie and she just has that presence, you know, yeah. like she feels like a star to me. Yeah. Um, and she and she, you know, she was zipping back and forth in the tone. Like she did a good job of mm. navigating. Like what she was drugged in this one, right? It's like she was almost acting out of. A, she had like a different persona in the middle of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd like to. She was versatile and kind of got there. Got got went a ways at least to selling the topic, that whole tone, I should say. Even if Jahanta wasn't quite able to do it for me. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. He's 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 due for for Hollywood. To like give him a project. I I'm think. afraid. I mean, maybe if if James Gunn loops him into the next phase of all those DC comics Ooh, no, movies. Please, no. I mean, if I was him, that's exactly what I would do. I'd say, mm. I you know, like get me a, a flight out to Jakarta because it's like this is exactly the guy you're going to talk to. He'll work cheap, but he's stylistically mm. ready to go, and he could do capes and rubber suits and uh, Henry Cavill better than anybody, I think. But I would prefer <laughs> he didn't. But I could see right, that being same. predictable. Yeah. Give him an original, yeah. uh, like, property. So, Steve, how do you feel about the big four? Yeah, I definitely liked it. So any, anything mm. I say after this point is still under the umbrella of I enjoyed the movie. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely want to piggyback on some of Bill's comments that, it, yeah, like, every like if you pull out every scene from the movie and just watch it individually, it's really good. But then as a collection... It is a it, it's it's um it's a little odd. You go for yeah. So as a whole thing, I felt it was too slapsticky. Um, you know, as far as the overall tone, especially where it ended, like like it felt like it needed to be it wanted to be a little more of a straightforward action adventure, and some of the slapstick it just maybe a little too thick. Yeah, or like wedged in. Yeah. Whereas like, but if you just watch those slapstick scenes, they're actually really good. Yeah. I um, mean, enjoyable. I guess what's hard is. You go from a scene where the main guy, Topan, um, is like such a badass and 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 can like block every punch and is just like a machine, and then he gets around Dina and he's just a scared little boy, and like she can hit everyone in the balls like yeah. at, like at any moment, no problem. She's just lighting them up and they're just like not prepared and and so it's it's very. And like, okay, like that all works in the slapstick kind of jackass style. But then compared to like all these action scenes that you just got out of, it's a little like, wait, what's, what's happening? Um, but I, yeah, I do agree. I think all the, I think the casting was really good. I think all the characters are great. Like I really yeah. liked Alpha. I really liked um, the guy who played Paylor, Christo, Emmanuel. Um, yeah, they're all like very distinct characters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and so you know it does have some some legs. You know, I feel like that the ending of the movie, how in the credits they sort of do a montage where they present the characters, predator vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, are they trying to merchandise this? Are are they trying to create a franchise? Like, yeah. like like will the big four continue and will these stars play these roles in the future? Like, at least that's the that's the vibe I was getting. Um, you know, was that they want the big four to be this big thing. Right. But yeah. And then just the, my last note was, um, I didn't really care for the ending with the eye patch lady. I like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we could have done without that. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I, yeah. I, I, I do feel like the movie was too long. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's a, 
what was the the length of it? Um, it was over two, I think. Oh yeah, it's over yeah, it was, two hours. Like, like you know, yeah. I mean, I, I I guess I'm I'm one of those subscribers that you know a comedy a shorter comedy is better. <laughs> like the shorter the comedy is, yeah. the better it is. Definitely, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, brevity, soul of wit, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I see I see a phenomenon happening here because um he's had work on Netflix before, but I think in some cases Netflix picks up work and they're just the, they're just the expo for it. Um, you know, if you look at last year's gigantic smash hit of Squid Game, right? Yeah. That Netflix came on as it was in the production, as it was being germinated, and they steered the course of it. So when they made that in Seoul, Netflix gave it shape, and they knew how it was going to sell around the globe. Um, you know, so it wasn't just buying something that was formed with talent. Netflix at that point got on board for the actually steered its creation, and so I think this might have been the first movie where they. They were just they were partners in the making of it from the start. So Timo mm. Chahanto took the money. At the same time, he's obeying Netflix's you know editorial edicts, their mandates. All of a sudden, their notes are coming down to him. Um, so this movie, while it's his biggest thing, he probably got a gigantic paycheck um, in Indonesian. Uh, I forget what the dollar is in Indonesia and in Jakarta, but rupiah. Uh, yeah, rupiah. Yeah, I had a big stack yeah. of it in my pocket at one point. Yeah, so <laughs> there, there is. Um, it's a little bit of a Heisenberg equation because it's he's he's taking the money. That means Netflix is tainting it a little bit. So this looks like something Netflix wants. That means the runtime. It means the tone. It means the violence. Mm. It means all those things are a little bit of what Netflix thinks they can sell algorithmically. Um, okay. Again, I would never dissuade him from taking that money. I'd always rather see him do something bigger, better. You know, this this is his palette. His tapestry is to work mm. in huge hugeness. Um, but I always think like it is the Netflixization of things for sure. You can't leave that out of it when I look at these movies. Man, yeah, and that that just yeah. makes me think of you know that episode of Barry. You know, um, oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. reason season where they talk about how the algorithm <laughs> works. And well, stuff yeah, like but that. how do you know? We don't know. We're scared. We just do what the algorithm <laughs> tells us. <laughs> it's so spot on. Yeah. But yeah, it, that that's the whole thing. I mean, I this is nothing new though. It's just that it's coming from an algorithm. But before it used to be from an executive who thought that they knew what was best. Yeah. You know, because um, I I remember even like that was the whole issue with Mallrats. You know that uh, like Kevin Smith said like they didn't really meddle with like the shoot uh or the the edit it was really at the script stage they were already giving all these like um suggestions and that's like what messed up the movie even though i think now that's it's probably my favorite kevin smith movie <laughs> but because uh, i guess it was the first one i ever saw so uh but yeah like uh, you can see how that can affect like creatively like a, a filmmaker like in subtle ways when they're making all these suggestions um, even if you're you, you are like given quote unquote like free reign, but there's there's still like these little things you'll come up against, and then you know it affects you in a certain way. Even if you you able or you're able to fight for what you want, and you know you're able to push back on them. Just the fact that somebody is like you know giving these to you, that's another level of something where you have to think about it, and it affects you in some way as a filmmaker. You know, so I can definitely see how how that affects the work, and but yeah. This idea that you've just mentioned, Bill, is mind blowing to me. I never realized that that's how Netflix could work is like by ushering in projects, um, you know, because they just put their stamp over it. You know, yeah. it's like Netflix yeah. presents and then you just think, oh, it's a Netflix production. And uh, with the next movie I want to discuss, which, you know, Steve and I have discussed to no end because I've been championing it. Um, do you feel that that was the same way, too, with Carter? 
Uh, yeah, you know, Netflix has its tendrils into the Korean Peninsula. They are definitely there. And, you know, some of the best movies that we've seen, there's a real freshness coming out of Seoul. Um, as, a, as a generator, was at least 15 or 20 years now, there's some talent coming out of there making making real unflinching art that you were not likely to see in the action precinct, even out of Los Angeles or places like that. There's some real transgressive energy, movies like I Saw the Devil and, and you know, Chang right. Park. And there's some real good stuff coming out of there. Like how I just watched um, Joint Security Area for the first time. I never saw that before. And it's like, that's not really a violent movie, but it's just, it's so, it's so good. It's just such a great fucking yeah. drama, man. Um, yeah, so in Carter, I definitely saw some pieces of it, although um, this director, uh, what was his name is Young Byung Gil. I mean, I'm, I'm butchering the, pronun- the pronunciation of it. Uh, I mean, this seemed like it was one man's uh, vision, for, for sure. You know, everything about this was absolutely ambitious and auspicious. And, uh, you know, he got this TV actor. The guy came in there and he put on a bunch of pounds and he became like a real Frank Grillo looking Korean dude to, to nail this action thing home. <laughs> uh, you know, but it, it's like the question is, but did I like Carter? Ugh, I hate to be sacri- <laughs> you know, sacrilegious about this. I, 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 my, my review, I said it's the Russian arc of hardcore Harry's. You know? Oh, my God. What a comparison. <laughs> wow. There is there is uh, something about it. The It was fatiguing. I mean, the opening scene was great, and I think it might kind of missold it a little bit because I thought we were going to get something more born identity. And then mm. it, it turned into the, like once it zipped around, and I was watching a lot of rubbery, loose CGI, um, mm-hmm. cr- you know, create the stitching that made these scenes put together where the cuts obviously were, but then they smudged them out by, you know, making. Uh, you know, whether it was a helicopter flyby or anything that they... It, then I got the impression that's okay. Uh, uh, Director Jung's choice of doing this all in one shot actually wound up imposing limits on it. I know it was a stylistic exercise, but I thought that it um, kind of dictated his ability to make a movie and kept it uh, really feeling like something that you would have seen on PlayStation 3. Um, and that's mm, why... Yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, it's like yep. it really involves the camera, almost like the guy gets out of bed. You know, that's the scene on the plane you'd mentioned uh, in in the last episode of the show you did. Mm. You know, there were some things that were like, okay, this is really. I, if this was one thing in a movie that wasn't just this was the whole movie, it would have stood out as being more dynamic. But then the thing with a helicopter at the end, like that's tethered by the crane, and then the helicopter can't get away, and it's swinging the helicopter. Everything was so rubbery and weird, and guys are hanging from the skids, and it just everything was so weightless after that. Sh- uh, the spa scene or that, that, that sort of um, hot tub scene at the beginning was yeah. so, you know, like that's a statement of purpose. We're going to go through here. We're going to go shit house. We got, we got blades. We got guys in those, um, you know, essentially all tatted up. They're just like, you know, metal heads ready to go, ready to fuck shit up. And yeah, it, <laughs> it, 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 it got away from me very quickly and I wasn't able to put the rope back in my hands before it proceeded much further. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think those are all fair criticisms. Sure. Um, yeah. It also suffers from, you know, bad English language acting. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is too long. Like the the we mentioned that the flashback sequence was unnecessary. Um, and I think yeah, the the one I don't disagree with too is that the, it's a video game. You know, like that that it is like it feels like you know he's going from one stage to another. You're getting the the first person perspective. You know, um, all those things are, are there, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> it's just. The, I, it's I got propelled. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the the energy is just like I was vibing with it, and then um, I I didn't even realize that I had seen a movie of his before, which I also enjoyed for the most part. But then it kind of tapers off towards the end, which was um, uh, the villainess. 
which uh, I, I highly recommend for both of you guys just for the opening scene alone. Okay. Like, the opening scene of it is incredible, and it's also, like, done as one take. Um, well, I guess maybe they, they fudged a few things, but it, it, it feels like one take. And um, uh, and then there's a scene which basically now people are looking back on it. It's like, oh, that's where John Wick took it from. Is uh, there's a there's a motorbike chase that's uh, eerily similar oh, to the John Wick sure. motorbike yeah. chase. Lift, yeah, yeah, lift, yeah, lift from the best, right? Exactly. So um, so yeah, I, I, and I'm 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 excited for whatever uh, Jung director Jung does next. And I I mean you know, South Korean cinema is so like I think broad and it's funny you mentioned Park Jan Wook because he kind of falls in the middle like he can deliver like this crazy extreme violence or sexuality which is one extreme but then he can also make films that are very artsy and yeah he he really toes that line he's like yeah. the the sweet spot he's in the sweet spot for all these Korean directors because mm-hmm. you know the other extreme would be like you know the the Hong Sang Soo's which I you know I also I love the old Hong Sang Soo movies, not the the recent ones. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's Carter, and yeah. I I gave you guys like a, a brief like uh, order of um of what we were gonna do, but I'm switching it up. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, because I think it, it ties into a better segue that we we Ooh. talk about Athena next, just because of the long take <laughs> aspect of it. And this was what, yeah, this was one of the original movies that. I, I propose when I proposed this episode to Bill, this was the one of the movies that we were gonna talk about. Um so um yeah, but let's start with Steve first. So how do you feel about Athena? Yeah, um so this is an interesting one. I actually went into this very cold. I I, I had not heard a lot about this one. Um I just knew it was recommended from you. And I definitely enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. It's it's a yeller, a lot of yelling. <laughs> Um, they're pretty much yelling the whole time, and and yelling names is like the main takeaway. <laughs> yes. They're 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 yelling Abdel, they're yelling Kareem, over and over. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny compared to Carter. That 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 is one of the things I thought was that it felt like a very artistic version of what Carter and kind of what 1917 or sort of tr- were trying to do. It's, it, you know, it had elements of those films and it was trying to do it with a more art- artful way, especially at the beginning, maybe like the first like 45. Um, but it was definitely confusing at times, like the like, like trying to follow the plot. Um, I had to go back on Wikipedia just to kind of get a sense of like <laughs> w- what was happening. And then, yeah, it, it definitely got, it was more, it has more of a serious tone, more of like a political tone. Um, which I, you know, I, I think why I liked Carter was just because it's so fun. It's so silly. Um, whereas this one, it's like, it's, it's like inviting you to get into French futuristic politics in, in, in a weird way. But, uh, yeah, that's, those are my main thoughts. Yeah. What did you, what'd you guys think? Go for it, uh, Carlo. I want to hear what you thought uh, of it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, my thoughts are related to the context of it, which is basically that. I'm a fan of this director, uh, Roman Gra- uh, Gavras, yeah. who is the son of um, Costa Gavras, um, whose films I, is a big blind spot for me. But that's why I thought like Bill was perfect for it because he has been going in, into Costa Gavras's film. So I am curious uh, when we get to uh, what his thoughts are of um, 
Uh, Nep- Nepo baby, Roman Goblin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, did you guys do that for? I don't get it. Did you do? The, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, believe me, we're two two aggrieved middle aged guys with prostates the size of grapefruits. We talked about Nepo yeah. babies. Yeah, you're jealous. Yeah. Of Nepo Absolutely. Babies. Yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Fuck that shit. You know. Uh, oh, I love yeah, her. I yeah, love the her. original. She's one of the original Nepo babies. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Roman Gavras, man, his first film, um, Our Time Will Come that he did with Vincent Cassell, uh, I really enjoyed it. It's like this weird, like, it should be a cult movie. Like, it really Mm. is just this strange, like, it's, it's about, like, redheads and how outcast they are in society to the point that people are actually, like, trying to kill them. You know? (laughs) It's, that's the, the premise of the movie. And so, um, and, you know, Vincent Cassell isn't a redhead. Um, natural redhead, but he plays one in the movie and very well. And uh, I forgot the the young actor's name who who is actually a redhead in the film. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Like I really enjoyed it. And then um, yeah, he he got on the Netflix train. Like I think um, his next film was um, uh, it's named after a Nas song. Uh, the world, uh, yeah, the, the world, world is, is yours. yours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that one. It was disappointing. Like, I, I really enjoyed Our Day Will Come, but The World of Yours was just, you know, the only good thing about it was really that it was great to see uh, Isabella Johnny again, you know, on screen. And then it, it makes good use of one of my favorite bands, um, Battles. Uh, it makes good use of Atlas in one scene, but it was just like the pacing was off. And I don't know, maybe this is that thing, Bill, of like Netflix giving him notes and kind of like... Uh, him being affected by you know his vision by these suggestions, um, but yeah, it was it was it was very disappointing. So I was heading into Athena, basically not knowing what to expect and being like, maybe I might not continue it. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, the opening of this movie is incredible. Like regardless mm-hmm. of how you feel about what happens after the title shows up, it's yeah. just like relentless. Like the energy, and then you know again it. It is a little more serious, but it's also like prescient of of things that have been going on in terms of like, you know, um, uh, the riots that have been happening in Paris yeah. and in France, and then also just um how, uh, and th- this was something that uh, Matthew Kasovitz um uh like established in Lahan, uh, yeah. which with yeah. with Vincent Cassel of just like the the difference between these banlieues, these um you know these slums that are on the outskirts of Paris versus like Paris itself and how long it gets you to get to the center and like how, you know, all the people who live there are marginalized and, you know, like largely ignored and that they have to do certain things like this. And, you know, actually the the inciting incident of Athena is similar to Lehen because it's also about like a kid who was shot by the, the cops and like, um uh you know, the, the fallout that happens from that. But I think Athena's more extreme because, uh, uh, Lahen is more like kind of dreamy, like smaller scale. It's more about how it affects these three friends. Whereas this is like, you know, it's the entire, um, it's the entire slum or the entire like, um, uh, housing estate that's mm-hmm. affected by it. Um, but yeah, again, it's another movie that I just got carried by the energy. Um, you know, it really just like, uh, it propelled me through, but then it, it, it did kind of flag a little bit after a certain point where you think a character has been shot. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Um, uh, but yeah, after that point, it just kind of like, uh, it started to peter away. And then I did have 
problems with the ending because it kind mm-hmm. of um uh it the basically the ambiguity is disappears you know they basically yeah. make it clear what happened um but yeah bill how did you feel about the um, uh, Gavras Fis, the son of Gavras. <laughs> Gavras <Fis>. Yeah. <laughs> if this movie had any uh, any flaw, is that it was going to be very difficult to keep up the uh, power, energy, and novelty of that first sequence. Which, right? You, you, I mean, I I went into this cold, just like Steve too, and not knowing what was going to come there. I, I, you know, but sold on the name uh, Costa Gavras, who made some of the best paranoia uh, cinema of the late 60s 70s and you know he did a lot of melodrama in the 80s but even that stuff is pretty good too but the the movie that of his father's that this reminded me the most was missing which was set oh, shit. set yeah. in chile it, it was 1980 1981 you know when just people were being vanished off the streets by uh was it allende no it wasn't allende a pinochet um yeah pinochet pinochet yeah, yeah. and so like this begins i mean i you could write a, a text about beginning a movie in Medius Rest, where this starts off at the press conference, where it goes from black to the guy's face as he's issuing a press conference about what happened with this kid being shot. It does an incredible job of, uh, of doing a lot of heavy lifting. It expects you to remember stuff, but it also delivers it in that very plain spoken bureaucratic language of somebody trying to do damage control from an official position. Um and, you know, like, you know, one of the things, Carlo, I think you're trying to allude to is the term ACAB, all cops are bastards. And this movie <laughs> has that really tied into its its uh, mission statement, I think. And, yeah. um, you know, it goes from the press conference where somebody sort of drops this hint and it's like, and he says, that's your brother. His brother was was a, his, his, his tiny brother, the youngest of all these Franco-Algerian kids is the one who, who was shot and killed. And so this guy is sent there with his dark complexion saying, let's not go crazy tonight. Let's wait till all the facts are in. And before you know it, all of a sudden, Molotov cocktails are being thrown at the dais. So the introduction is crazy. It's this long take. I mean, the movie is a series of long takes. I think it's like six or five or six long yeah. takes, essentially. But the opening... Yeah, they don't fudge it like like no. Carter. Like, these are real long takes. Real one-shots, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, hundreds of extras, pyro, helicopters, yeah. lights. I mean, a lot is done through sound design to really sell the idea that the place is swarming with more people than there really are to give the depth, the sense, the volume of how, how much this is. Um, but there's an actor in the beginning. Uh, the, the guy who plays the cop, his name is Dali Ben Salah. He's good. But the guy who was playing his brother, Sami Sliman, was fucking incredible. He yes. is prowling the scene like he's Hannibal, uh, like mm. he's fucking mm. Alexander the Great. He is this presence that indicates that these are not just bandits with balaclavas over their faces, that they are an irregular fighting force. And I mean, he... I don't want to, you know, I mean, he sort of exits the movie in a very weird way and it's a little bit anticlimactic. Um, right. But yeah, that's how I felt too. Yeah, it's like I really missed his energy because I thought it's like this guy is, he's Kang. He's Thanos. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's just something to the power because you believe every, this guy is not going to stop. You're going to have to like drop a, drop a truck on him to get him to stop moving. So long right. as there's strength in his legs, he's going to keep kicking at you. And I mean, that's again, and, and to Carlo, to, to mirror what you said, I think it loses energy. I think it can't keep yeah. it up. It gets, it literally mm-hmm. gets slower. It goes into corners. It goes into rooms. And it's not, the tableaus aren't as huge because it, what, what they said, they establish it in the first scene and then they live in the small corners and all the subsequent scenes. So it just can't possibly have that punch power at the beginning. Yeah. No, man, Bill, you painted quite a picture there. I mean, that's brilliant. I think Susan Sontag would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, she talks about like how 
you know, criticism should serve as like to give us an impression of a film. And right. I think you just did right oh, there. Thank like, you. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, just the way you described Sammy uh, Slimog plays Kareem. Like, yeah, he is just such a presence. Like, I mean, yeah, so compelling. Like, he, and, and, it's for good reason that they put his face all over like the the posters and stuff like that because mm-hmm. yeah yeah he has that slow burn that look it's just man and how many incredible. how many great actors honestly are Franco Algerian you know that you don't get to see I mean there's a shitload of movies I've seen a ton of these things you know these actors are either Franco Moroccan or Franco Algerian mm-hmm. but it's like there's some real rep talent in Paris that we're just not getting in the West. I mean, or at least I don't want them to come over to American films, but we're not seeing the great work that does happen. It's just probably not spreading mm. as much as I'd like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is his only role. That's like, crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. 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 He needs to be in more shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> like he, Let's get him out and, there. But um, the other guy who plays his brother, Dali uh, Ben Salah, he was in the James Bond movie. The right, last right, right. Daniel Craig. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 Uh so yeah, man. Um yeah, but I agree. Yeah, like the 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 more I think about it cuz I wanted to like rewatch it um before um uh, getting into this episode again to see if it held up, but like um yeah, cuz I've only seen it that one time, but uh yeah, you're right. Like it, it really just flags <laughs> at a certain point, but yeah, the the energy of the opening is strong enough for me to like, you know, it, uh, like it, but Carlo, it is only ninety nine minutes. It seems a lot longer. Yeah, than that, right. But it's only ninety nine minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible too. Yeah. That it, yeah, the way he uses time. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for his next project. Maybe it is time for him to. I mean, you know, you you get where you you get your funds, but you know, I would be like him to do something away from Netflix. Yeah. Um, and see what he can do again. Um, because yeah, I mean, uh, our 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 time will come. Like, I definitely want to. Uh, probably would want to do an episode on that that movie just because our day will come i'm sorry is so like fascinating you know um and i mean you know he also made a great music video with um mia bad girls is a fantastic music video so yeah I, I think he's definitely a talent to watch um and uh yeah i can't wait for his next uh movie all right cool. so um uh i don't really have a, an appropriate segue from <laughs> <laughs> from Athena to this one but um the the thing that surprised me when I suggested this movie to you Bill was you had mentioned you had never seen a Richard Linklater movie I yeah, I misspoke a little bit I I Oh okay I mean of course I've seen a Linklater movie it's just that I I I think I've run really shallow I saw you know Boyhood uh, oh, right. that might be the one that I saw yeah you know what I've I've completely avoided the Ethan Hawke stuff because I'm not really a big Ethan Hawke guy um, gotcha. I saw, uh, yeah, maybe maybe it was just Boyhood, maybe one or two movies, and that's about the maximum. Yeah, I just you know. it's funny because the movie, the Netflix movie he did last year, which I think people have forgotten about, including me, I just forgot about it, even though I I really enjoyed it, uh, is also almost like his retread of Boyhood in a way, um, Apollo Ten and a Half, um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's fascinating because it it's about. Uh, someone's boyhood again like it's weird because the two movies that he's made that are coming of age like this they're not about his generation you know um like i think link later is um uh younger i guess than the boy would be right oh definitely Yeah, yeah 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 so um yeah he's really more of like a 70s guy i mean that's why he's he's made a bunch of movies that are set in that time but he makes a movie about the 60s and you know something historical and you know with boyhood it's really more about you know a, a gen z 
uh, kid, yeah. you know, um, coming of age. So it's not really him, but you know, he's obviously filtering it through his experience, you know, by setting it in in Texas. And I mean, you know, Ap- Apollo ten and a half is like inexorably tied to uh, <laughs> to Texas and Houston, you know, which is uh, where he was. Uh, he grew up, um, and uh, yeah, like. Uh, there's something about this movie and you were saying bill like you really like his rotoscope stuff i like rotoscope period you know there was another, oh yeah there yeah was the movie i saw last year called the spine of night from these two um uh, these Ooh. two guys i can't remember where they're from yeah or again our mutual friend james hancock had done a whole episode with them uh interview thing and and um he did a video uh about spine of night the, i i not enough people do this. I think it's a relatively simple way of animating, but it, it brings mm. me back to obviously um, Bakshi and some Disney stuff. It's like there's a lot of great art I've seen. And rotoscoping gives it a weight because you're basing it on, you know, you're choreographing it to the, you're drawing over actors. So, yeah, you know, like I looked at the um, headshots on IMDb, the people who were in the movie, and it's like they all look like the characters do. But obviously they drew this incredible tableau of all that mid-century modern furniture and you know, right. the car <laughs> and the way you know how flat houston was i mean i'm sure it's still that flat now yeah. but it's like doing giving it the reality of rotoscope allows all the other stuff to sit on top of it and re, and create this tableau of 1967 1968 1969 when the, you know you talk about the, the the apollo mission apollo 11 going up into space yes you know it's like it's it's crazy uh, the why how in particular uh, rotoscope works, but it's obviously he's had his he's had his head in rotoscope for a couple of years now because this is the third feature he's used it for. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, they're they're all vastly different from each other. Yeah. You know. Um. Uh. Did you see Waking Life? No, I think I might have okay. watched. I might have watched five minutes of it. I, I kind of said <laughs> I put I put a pin and I'm like I'll get back to this and I just never got back to it. But no, it was, yeah, there was nothing yeah. no ambivalence about it really. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah I don't I don't know if if it will be your type of movie, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, it's totally mine, you know, and I, I understand a lot of the criticisms against that movie too, but like, it, it's definitely something that I would yeah. put on on occasion. Like it, it's one of my favorite Linklater movies. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's almost like a, like, like the first podcast. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could see that. Yeah. But except like it's, it's an endless parade of guests and they never come back. <laughs> It's just, yeah, yeah. You move on to one guest to another, and you know, I mean, I guess uh, also prescient that Alex Jones is in it. You know, oh, that's right. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, but yeah, like uh, that was really the early form of it when he was first starting out, and it was handheld. You know, like he shot it digitally, handheld. So he even includes the camera shake in it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it, it really stems from like his collaboration with Bob Sabiston. You know, like who who pioneered this style. You know, and I don't think Bob Sabinson was involved in this this project though. Like, I think he he's now like deferred to um his uh like his other creative collaborators who 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 work on the studio because there's a lot of them. Uh, but the beauty of of Waking Life that like because of the dream logic and everything was they actually allowed different animators to incorporate their style into it. So it's like transforming sometimes even mid scene. Like characters' looks are kind of changing. And yeah. you know we had we'd mentioned AI earlier. That's also one of the most frustrating things about AI, like image generation, is like trying to like create something consistent. You know, if you want to do something where it's a character doing different things, it's hard because like AI keeps creating like slight variations each time, mm-hmm. unless you really know how to like you know um, Jimmy the 
um the prompts you know yeah um so but yeah that that's what waking life was like it was like you know characters are transforming mid-scene and it totally works because you know it, it's in in a dream you know and it also is like kind of being high you know because it, there, there's certain times where you feel completely still but the world is like jello and it's still moving around you mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i i love the progression and i i feel like um actually um uh, scanner darkly is is the one that uh doesn't get enough love because uh they, people have forgotten it it was part of a low point i think in in keanu's career where people were just dismissive of him but he's really good in it and so is a uh, winona writer i mean it, they have great chemistry isn't downey in that one too who who downey jr i think that was another low point it was right before oh iron, yeah yeah it was before iron yeah, man, before right? iron man. Yeah. yeah and he's fantastic him and um uh woody harrelson like it's a great cast yeah and even um uh the link later uh regular he's he's been in a bunch of his movies um uh, Rory Cochran, he's yeah. fantastic in it too. Um, yeah, and then, you know, as a like, I I think he really captured the spirit of um of, of Philip K. Dick in in that book, and especially because the you know Waking Life is almost a precursor to it because you know the the scene where Linklater shows up in in Waking Life, he's discussing like a dream that involves um uh you know Philip K. Dick as like the preamble, so uh it, it just makes sense, but you know I. To just for him to lead to this, I think mm. it, it really makes up for Boyhood because I was not a fan of Boyhood. <laughs> like oh. I, I really thought it was just so like indistinct. Like it missed like all the milestones that really come from growing up <laughs> as a boy. You know, like uh, I, I mean, you know, it's not that I was expecting mm-hmm. it, but like, where's the details or the specificity of like sexual awakening? <laughs> Mm-hmm. in this like uh, the only part that re- like i think the value of boyhood really was that you know you get that kind of uh and this is more of a personal thing for me that abstract thing of like okay he's aging we're seeing him age in real time you know like it, it is hap- happening like Eller coltrane is aging before our eyes and this is not digitally done it's not like you know they, they actually put in the work and shot like you know three days out of a year every year until you know he he became 18 so um but this one i think makes up for it because this is so rich with detail yeah you know and i i couldn't help but think of my dad too because it 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 touches upon a lot of his um preoccupations like he loves space you know and uh journalism so like all these things are, are are within this this work and you know he's obsessed with the moon landings and all of that and NASA, like he's gone to like Cape Canaveral in Houston. So, um, so yeah, it, it really like it, it did have like kind of a sentimental attachment to me too. Like it's something that like I'll just associate with him, even though, yeah, I keep recommending him f- for him to watch it. He still hasn't seen it, but I think oh, he'd, man. he'd yeah. really dig it. Maybe I should just go over and watch it with him. Like, you know, we'll sit down. Yeah, and- I think you totally love it. You know, but to, to your point though, Carlo, I think that this movie was pretty much. You say there's so much detail to it. I'm not sure what there was outside of the detail that um, mm. that he really understood and or was trying to make a point because this is largely plotless. Not that I, you know, if anybody can do plotless, I think yeah. Linklater can do plotless and he makes it seem charming and natural and appropriate. Not every single time. Um, and like this movie, it's funny because I was watching it and I, I was really ambivalent about it when I see the kid going through astronaut training and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is all a ruse and this is goofy charm. Yeah. And then I think there's probably a 35-minute segment of a 98-minute movie 
where it's Jack Black more or less giving a litany of detail about what it was like yeah. growing up. And that was rapturing. That was that was yeah. transfixing. That was something about mm. that that really pushed the movie over the top. And I said, okay, well, uh, whatever else was happening here with the narrative push wound up being uh, consumed by the specificity, the reality, and the logic to this great linear detail of waiting for the rocket to send up into you know that's essentially the climax of the movie it's not a spoiler or anything like that but everything up to that you know every blade of grass every single ice pop they ate every you know grain of sand at the beach all that stuff seems so spielbergian in exactly Mm. the way we want it to be yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i i totally agree and i mean you know uh, that is like basically um it's it's your own taste whether you're willing to like go with uh, and I'm not just saying you specifically Bill but like people in general if you're willing to go with with uh <laughs> with uh Linklater's aimless kind of wandering um you know because that that's basically what you sign up for with yeah. his films and I think actually because we've we've seen movies where he does like work for hire and he kind of sticks to the script a little more and it, I think it's it's less interesting you know like those movies mm-hmm. kind of bore me oh that was the, um, the last flag flying was like that for me I, I saw that okay. one too I forgot that, that, that oh yeah that too See, was, that, there you it was, go it was a little choking it was a little, little formally mm-hmm. repressive it seemed like it was yeah. Yeah, keeping him in check or, or the, the movie he, I think the last movie I saw by him was um, uh, Where Did You Go Bernadette before right. this one and it was a book adaptation and I was like expecting all these like link later details and it just wasn't there you know it was mm-hmm. just like it could have been directed by anybody yeah you yeah. know yeah um but yeah so that's the trade off it's like you either get like a structured link later where you know it's 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 just less nuance or you get this which is like kind of a sprawl but then yeah you got all these details and I agree bill like that that sequence is like the high point of the film like yeah. you know it really is like the best thing in it and you know i'm already excited to to watch this again you know i, I think yeah it, it's definitely up there in terms of link later movies you know um but yeah steve what are your thoughts on on the movie yeah i definitely uh enjoyed it i i I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites though. It's um I think I can totally see how if you have any nostalgia for this time period, this would be a high, you know, a high quality movie. You know, you know just to kind of see what what it was like in the late 60s again. For me, you know, because I don't have such nostalgia for for the for the time period, mm. um I was more compelled with just um the aspects centered around the launch, like how focused everyone was. I thought they did a really nice job of showing how like the world really did stop and you would just watch your TV uh, for hours and hours while they um, described, you know, if they would potentially launch and what that process would be like. And you would be riveted for a couple of days waiting for them to land and whatever the next broadcast would be. So yeah, I'm curious how your, how your dad, once he gets around yeah i'll I'll report back it on a subsequent episode and yeah i mean i guess the irony is not lost on me too that you know we're watching this on netflix you know which is contributing to all our distractions (laughs) compared to (laughs) you know that time when they were just focused on the rocket launch and you know the dad's reading the newspaper but he'll notice when they change the channel yeah and and well yeah and that the kids would want to watch the monkeys Mm. Or you know, just like that—that that <laughs> impulse is so true, right? And and you know, fighting over the controller or fighting over the channel—it's it's it's um it's really well captured because you know obviously we're not in that era anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Linklater's just a, such a charming guy, and I think it, it, it filters through his movies, you know. Um, uh, the, like, I love watching him, like, do, like, Q&As and stuff. Like, the, the, that's kind of, I guess, my YouTube algorithm <laughs> caters towards, like, <laughs> oh, Linklater yeah. Q&As. Because, like, there's some fantastic ones. Like, the one he does often, because, you know, he's part of, uh, he started the Austin Film Society. So he has this uh, series called uh, Jewels from the Wasteland, where he introduces and does like kind of a Q&A for like movies from the 80s. Like he's going through like decade by decade, like the, I mean, you know, year by year of this decade of, of all these important 80s movies. And they're just fantastic, especially the one for um uh, the Dennis Hopper movie, uh, Out of the Blue, because he, he actually was like at a screening where Dennis Hopper was also there. And it was like a pivotal moment in Dennis Hopper's life. I mean, I won't spoil it for anybody, just watch it or listen to it you can even just listen to it. you don't even need to see because he's just sitting down holding a mic but um it's so entertaining and uh another one that i really like was when he was um like during the new york film festival you probably attended some of these bill because it's free uh they do these on cinema series mm-hmm. where it's like basically they just get a director to like talk about their favorite like scenes or favorite movies like pta's done it jim jarmusch has done it um and uh link later's one is fantastic because there's one thing that he says that's very telling, uh, which is basically he says, what else is plot, but basically something to hang these moments onto. And that's the moments that he focuses on, on these scenes. Yeah. And it's a real shame because of copyright. They have, they can't actually show the scenes that he's talking about in the video, but you know, you can, you can search it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, he's, he's a guy who's so like, he's so new wave in terms of his, his movies being a laid back kind of non-linear non-specific thing and yet when you meet him there, there's no one less french there's, he's so <laughs> he's so homespun he's so texan he's so amiable like there doesn't seem to be a cynical bone or a fatigue bone in his right. body about any of this shit it's that's rather refreshing about him yeah yeah and i mean you know there, there there's this short film he did a couple years ago which i only saw recently and i think you saw it too bill right the um uh another day at the office yeah yeah, that was, yeah. Again, what's the point of that? The point of it was the point. <laughs> it was the point of it, you know. I, I fucking love that short. You know, it's yeah. like it's so good because I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's him again reflecting on himself, and you know, it, it, there's all these details that he likes sports. You know, in at one point he was an athlete, but like he basically, um, yeah, he had an injury, and that's kind of what led him into film. You know, yeah. um, uh, but you know that reflects like you know with movies like. Uh, um everybody wants um uh i have you seen that one bill i think you might dig that movie i might yeah i i yeah i i could i haven't seen it because i just wasn't compelled to but i haven't okay. know, i haven't seen days mm. confused either like even that's yeah right which is yeah. like what it's supposed to be a spiritual sequel yeah. to but yeah. like i feel like um everybody wants them can stand on its own like sure. it's its own movie um but yeah maybe the broy aspect of it. i don't know if you if that will resonate to you but uh but yeah that was the whole thing like he you know he was pink randall floyd from dazed and confused he was like this athlete this quarterback who was also like he hung out with the nerds and he also hung out with like you know the 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 potheads you know like, that yeah. was his whole thing you know he, he he like had that intersection and that blends very well into the films but that's also, I think, a lot of the barriers, too, of some people why they can't take him seriously because he's not highbrow enough for certain people. And then he's also not, like, you know, lowbrow enough for other people. So it's like he, he falls between two stools. Um, but, yeah, I really think this is great. And, you know, um, Another Day at the Office, that short film really resonated with me, especially the the therapy 
secrets yeah like uh yeah i it, it's made me like kind of basically come to terms with my own um adhd yeah. so <laughs> and also my my reluctance to like you know uh do group activities Wait, like you know, it every, really, everything yeah. i watch from him makes me think that the, the, like kevin smith really did pattern his entire career on him but kevin mm. smith there were certainly you know like it's a new jersey version of this of this thing and kevin smith is more disobedient and there's something more coarse about him but not yeah. necessarily as skilled he he has the want and the desire to be this chronicler of his own story and by telling his own story you know he wants to tell other people's story at the same time but he just doesn't yeah. have the raw material that link leader does like link later is if Truffaut also played baseball it was a minor league baseball yeah. player <laughs> You know, whereas Kevin yeah. Smith was this guy who, you know, is almost the exact same generation, but just doesn't have the same facility with, you know, Gestalt. He just can't get there in terms of, yeah. you know, he just keeps yeah. making the same movies and, and can't find something new to say about old things. Yeah, and I think, well, there's two things that, that definitely set these two guys apart. One is the talent. Yes. <laughs> and the other is just the interest, you know, because it's just, you, you hear Linklater speak and he just... He just like devours everything, you know. Like there's this definite like um, uh, autodidact yeah. aspect of him where he's just like he he watches all these movies and like you know he, he loves a James Benning film as much as he loves like yeah. you know um, uh, Blue Velvet. You know? well, it's, it's a lack <laughs> so, of cynicism, you know, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That that's one of the things you, you never get from any Linklater movie is that cynicism. Yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely think, um, I mean, um, I might even say this now. Like, you know, I, I think this was the best Netflix movie I saw last year. Was, uh, Ooh, yeah, okay. Apollo 10 All and right. a half. Yeah. Okay, I see you. I see you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm glad I remembered it. Like, man, like, you reminded me. <laughs> I'm glad you did because uh, we almost skipped over it because the last one we're going to discuss. Oh, man, I saved it for last oh, because. Oh, baby. Yeah, I have things to say about it, but it's not necessarily the best. Uh, <laughs> we didn't save Good. the best for last, but, you know. It's a psychological thing that people remember the the first thing and the last thing. So I want people to remember this conversation as they reach the end of our cool. episode. And we're discussing the elephant in the room. Uh, one point was controversial, but people have seemed to have not uh, forgotten about it and no longer discussing it. And that's Andrew Dominic's Blonde. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I'll just say, like, if, for, for regular listeners, probably people remember... When I was doing the Over the Garden Wall episode with Kay, I mentioned that I started it and I fell asleep. And I was unable to resume it. Like, this was like Halloween of 2022 (laughs) or before Halloween. So it's been that long. And then, like, I guess, you know, when conversations were ramping up about, like, doing a year in review, I was like, okay, I I just got to watch it now. Like, I got to power through it. Uh, uh, whatever it takes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like tie myself down <laughs> to the chair and sit through this thing. So I did, and um, <laughs> I don't know. I just really don't know. Oh my god! All right, where where should we start with this? Like, how do we attack this movie? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and you know, okay, I'll, I'll say this too as a preamble. You you know, I've established this with both of you guys and on this mm-hmm. podcast that. I I love to defend things that get attacked. You know, I love like movies that everybody hates. You know, um, there's a movie that I I've been like deliberately not bringing up on this podcast because I want to save it for our next episode. But there's a movie that a lot of people hated last year that I genuinely love. <laughs> you know, um, and it's not just to be like 
contradictory. It's really, I guess, yeah, it, it's that affection for the underdog. And then also just that, I think it's a healthy thing to question of like, why? Why do people hate this thing so much? But then, you know, mm-hmm. it, it feels terrible when like, you know, these opinions are vindicated. <laughs> when you're like, oh man, actually people are right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the problems with this movie, it, it's true. It's all true. You know? right, well, let's well let's go into them. Yeah. So, okay. um, is there anything that I guess is there anything that you liked about it first before we go into the problems, or should we just rip off the problems? Um. Yeah. Let, let, let's see what's good about it. Okay. Um. Okay. Uh, all right. So Andrew Dominic, I like him as a filmmaker. Like, uh, I I wouldn't say that any of his movies are particularly like you know Carlo Carlos canon worthy, <laughs> but man, like, uh, Chopper is hugely entertaining. Great Eric Bana performance. Hell yeah. Um. Uh. The the opening of um assassination of Jesse James is fantastic, and yeah, it's some of um uh, Roger Deakins' best work. You know, I mean, I I I've been meaning to revisit it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Leota so Leota was great in that movie. He really gave you something different in that movie. Who did Leota? He was in that movie. Oh yeah. my god! I need to... <laughs> Shit! See, that's how much I've forgotten it. Oh like, wait, I no, no, remember I'm, him. wait. You, you just, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, killing him, killing him softly. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. The follow-up movie. Yeah, that's awesome. I was, I'm jumping ahead. I'm, my I was sorry. like, damn, I completely blanked out. Yeah, and I remember enjoying killing them softly too. Yeah. You know, and like it was, it's a movie of its time, and like I, I also remember enjoying the Gandolfini performance in that. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So he's able to get like great performances out of actors, and I don't know if he, like, it was funny because. Up until assassination of Jesse James, he wasn't really considered to be an auteur. Like he was really more, I guess, like uh, a solid journeyman, you know. But when when assassination of Jesse James came out, like it was really like, okay, this guy is is somebody to be reckoned with, you know. Like, but I I don't see the you know the running thread, um, like in terms of stylistically, like the the movies all feel different to me yeah. even though maybe thematically there's there's a there's a through line um and you know he directed a couple of episodes of mind hunter you know um which is a great show r.i.p apparently it's never gonna continue it's been canceled yeah permanently sadly but um but yeah i actually thought after mind hunter like oh is this director like is he gone like he is because he, yeah he hadn't made anything since killing them softly and that was like 2012 um and then you know 10 years later yeah. Oh, he he did make like a I guess a Nick Cave, like Doc, and then he makes this. And okay, so the positives. Um, you know, there's no doubt. Like it's beautiful. Like the movie is just shot like mm-hmm. nothing else. I uh, the cinematographer I had to look him up. Like he um he was one of the cinematographers of um uh, Beyonce's uh, <laughs> Lemonade, which is also one of the most beautiful things ever shot. Um. And, uh, yeah, it shows, like, I really love, especially the black and white scenes, like, how they resemble, like, that paparazzi photography of that time. Like, there's just this, like, constant glow of a flash on it. Um, And uh, (laughs) I'm struggling here. Uh, (laughs) Like, grasping at what's good at it. Okay, okay. well, you know, like, I liked, I thought that, I thought at times it had really cool atmosphere with Mm. the music. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, you know, it, it it was very artistic at time. You know, cutting the cutting in between scenes. It was almost like it felt like, like almost like a Terrence Malick kind of a thing. Like very dreamlike, very soupy. Mm. 
No, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Actually, yeah, that, that is actually one of the strengths I would also say. I mean, I, I think I'm prepping like a review, a written review for this. Uh, but I think that's one of the things that I mentioned was the, yeah, the, the dreamlike aspect of it. But I guess, yeah, that's a good segue into the problems. Okay. Um, there we go. There we because, go. Because um, it can't hold that tone because the the problems really start when he wants us to feel something and it snaps you out of that um that dreamlike feel of the movie you know when it's getting to these emotional things and you know everybody's right about it it's like she she's being paraded through like this endless cruelty like mm. you know torture porn <laughs> yeah yeah um and uh, yeah, i mean it's it's kind of all I remember now mm. is the sexual assaults. Yeah. And in I guess in a way, it's kind of, you know, it's almost like, is the movie trying to make that the point? That it's like, hey, actually, you know, the way we've celebrated Marilyn Monroe since her death is not very respectful of how she, of, you know, everything she went through. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, like making a political kind of a statement, which I can understand but then it yeah it's just like it's like re, it makes you kind of rewrite the history in your head right and and it's like so okay if i believe it now my my view of john f kennedy is way different and my view oh, it can't of, be that different from what you, you already you, knew about you, kennedy for god's that's sake. true well, yeah yeah it's well <laughs> and well it's just that's now that it's now canon like okay. that is okay. like that scene it actually happened like that you know what i mean hmm. so it's like it's just it's just now indelible or it's or or it's um you know permanent um and then yeah the earlier scene with the uh the, the mother the movies the movie studio head oh yeah that, that that you know so it's just like okay that's all true that's all that that that's how it went and um you know if if that was the goal was to kind of get across how bad sexual harassment is at all levels and how I guess to kind of make you feel guilty for potentially idolizing this person or I guess the glorification of the of the image of her I wouldn't say mission accomplished but it's <laughs> it's like they were trying to thread some needle that just didn't quite get there ultimately yeah um Bill, you want to chime in? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, here's the thing is that I, as I was in that airplane, I was in Suharto uh, airplane, air, uh, air, airport in Jakarta for 10 hours between flights. I had plenty of time and I watched this on my back <laughs> in a pod hotel in a very humid um, city. It was a, it was a weird way to do it. But ideal condition. Ideal condition. This is the it, way, yeah. this is the way, uh, right. Chris, Chris Nolan meant for these movies to be watched this <laughs> yeah, way. Exactly. David Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I, I really was a captive audience. I got to put my whole mm. ass into uh, doing this without scrubbing, without moving ahead. Mm. I'll be honest. It's like, okay, let's, let's set a ground rule here. This is not Marilyn Monroe's life. It's based loosely on Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. This is the book written by Joe Carroll Oates. It, it is torture yeah. porn. This is Passion of the Christ. Here's the, the difference is, is that um, I sometimes I find in my old age now, one massive element of a movie, if it works, I can wind up liking a movie almost on a pass-fail basis. And that's how I got to this movie. I had a really favorable impression of this movie because of Ana de Armas doing something here that she's maybe not likely to do in the rest of her career. But essentially, mm -hmm. Andrew Dominic working with her 
he does something different than he did working with uh maybe not since chopper um mm. you know but it's like eric banna like wrote chopper that was a way for him to break out so he had a lot of control over the movie um yeah. i think that andrew dominic really directed the hell out of her and this and anna de armas did something like she was chameleonic she she the fact that she's fucking cuban and she was doing marilyn monroe with a cuban accent i didn't even notice <laughs> after about 10 or 15 minutes and like she just was so impressive and you know every single place you wanted to squeeze her into she was like watching a cat uh, get under a door like just if they can fit their head into something they can squeeze their whole body through it yeah and i got to see her literally do every single thing get into it and get out of these weird spots and you know it was taxing and like you say steve it's this idea that you're being flagellated for you know buying into the myth of this person the t-shirts the the fucking uh, elton john song and all this stuff you know like it the, the reality was it was a horror but it was a horror that she was adjusted to living inside every single day you know and the other thing is that people uh, this went a little bit towards she was a creative person and she was actually legit a good actor unlike the her counterparts today can't do right. what she did she was in the misfits for john houston you know she did give play feedback for arthur miller it's like she was in the mm. game she was an not maybe an intellectual person but she had you know actor studio training she you know she worked with meisner and all these people in new york city um i really like the synthesis of dominic's you know his gigantic maximalism the fact that he just wanted to make every curly cube rococo detail work and the fact that they had a huge paintbrush like anna de armas able to daub all over the canvas these details to bring you through the abortion to bring you through the into you know the fucking blowjob scene with kennedy was grueling that <sighs> yeah you know that was that was definitely that was six or seven steps too far we didn't need that mm. it was preposterous the way it was shot yeah. was absolutely ridiculous and yet that didn't stop me I saw something I clearly should not have. It should have fucked the movie up for me, and yet I it didn't. It didn't oh completely God. blow it up. You know, yeah. Bill, you're shocking me right now. I'm sorry, sorry. I'm, like... I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, I mean, even the the like I thought the accent would get you. Like, I thought you so have too. been critical of that too, so much. You, you know, you what? have a video when, of it on YouTube. When like... yes, when what's her yeah. face was uh, the German actress was in. in uh, um, I can't remember who she was, but she was doing the bridge, the TV show, um, the mm. bridge, and she was playing like a border agent in Texas. And it's like she's from fucking Bremen. You can't do an American <laughs> accent. We're going to hear this every single time. And yet, for some reason, That's the awesome. Cuban thing didn't get in the way of this because it's I don't know. It's so dreamlike. I couldn't tell you why. Yeah, sure. I I mean I I can definitely also see the parallels with like you know Anna de Armas also being sexualized and just a tie in with them. Um, with the knives out too like you know that was i think one of the best things that ryan johnson did in yes. that movie was like actually desexualize her by mm -hmm. having her wear turtlenecks and chunky sweaters you yeah. know um yeah. and i thought that yeah. was refreshing but yeah i it, that, that sexiness just like you know the, the yeah, i mean she's not on the level of marilyn but like you know she can approximate it yeah um yeah. and i mean you know she's the best thing in the, in um, that james bond movie the, definitely um no time to die her scene is amazing yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I, I guess, yeah, that, that's really it. That's the theme of what we've been discussing. Like there's some things that you know, us personally, we can forgive and that will carry us through. And, uh, I'm like that too. You know, as I've gone older, I've, I've, I've gotten to be more forgiving of flaws in movies, but yeah, this was a bridge too far for me. Like, it's just, um, uh, just something about it where, uh, yeah, it just really felt nasty to me. Um, and I'm I'm norm normally not like that. Like it's, it takes a lot to put me off, 
in in movies you know like i can i can mm-hmm. i can troll through like a gasper noe movie you know <laughs> um uh and actually that's the thing i would have actually been more interested if gasper noe approached this material like what would he have done <laughs> with blonde um and yeah let's just bring that up too like i think that that's also a lot of the confusion with the criticism and that's why i was willing to like um give this a, a fair shot was because I understand. I, and I even like read the first few pages of um, of, of Joyce Carol's novel, um, which is seven hundred pages, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if I can dedicate that whole time, but I wanted to get the feel of it because there's another imaginary biography that I like. I, I mean, I love. It. It's like one of my all time favorite books, and uh, it's called Coming Through Slaughter, and it's uh, Michael Ondaatje, who guy the guy who wrote um, English Patient. He um, he wrote an imaginary biography of Buddy Bolden. You know this. Uh, a uh, famous jazz musician whose music we've never heard because it was never uh, like there's no surviving record of his music it's all just spoken word but you know um the thing about coming through slaughter versus blonde is that uh, coming through slaughter feels like jazz like it it I, I like this idea of like if you're adapting something and I'm I'm not laying claim to this original idea. Um, I, I actually have to give credit to Mikhail Karadimov. He said this that if you're adapting something about a person like would you make that adaption basically more like their style? You know, like it, it's something that, that feels like them. Whereas from the first few pages that I got from um, from Blonde, it was like looking like on the outside of, of Marilyn still, you know, like it's objectifying her in, not in the worst sense, but, you know, Joyce Carol Oates is a very good writer. Um, so, but yeah, it's still like looking at her from the I, outside. I think that's it, fair. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's why it's titled Blonde. It's not tol- titled Marilyn and, or Mama yeah, it, Jean. It, it, because... It's not called Arthur Miller. It's called Author. It is not. It's not Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. It's called Ex Ball Player or something like that. You know, right? Or like um, Tony Curtis, in, who I think he was cut out of the the movie. Right? Yeah. Um, he he's C in the book. Yeah. Like you know, like so he, she's using all these things. And again, it, it's one of those things of like adaptation that we were talking about with uh, White Noise. Of like, you can do that. You can be more vague on the page. Whereas you have this specificity in a movie like this is Bobby Cannavale, who I love, by the way, he's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. And even though I feel like he's playing the same guy in everything he's in, uh, you know, he plays Bill DiMaggio as Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's just uh, that was really it. Like I, 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 I really struggle to reconcile things and like, you know, the the hype of the NC-17 rating was also yeah. kind of overshadowing it and like um I will just say though with the ending of the movie like um it, it's interesting because the the whole blonde archetype and like the journey of the blonde going through the Hollywood machine and like being destroyed by it you know um uh obviously David Lynch has has done it several times like he's gone through that and uh, you know I mean his last movie was basically about that it was um Inland Empire but the one where he does it, I think, more cogently is obviously um, Mulholland Drive. And, you know, uh, he's never alluded to Marilyn, I think, directly. But the, the that blonde aspect, you know, every, every movie he has has a blonde it's, actress. Yeah, it's, in it. it's Jane Mansfield. It's all these blondes. Yeah. It's an aggregate blonde. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it, it felt like it was coming full circle for me with this movie in the sense that um, you know, Naomi Watts was originally supposed to play um, Marilyn, and I've been curious to see how she played it. Oh. Um, but yeah, she already went through that experience in Mulholland Drive, and she was fantastic. You know, it's a star-making 
uh, turn. And then, you know, the ending of the movie with the, the music by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis sounded like Angelo Badalamenti, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, it sounded like his score, you know, um, at the end of the film. So, it, yeah, there was that full circle coming through. But, like, yeah. So, Bill, since you liked it more than us, is this something you would revisit? Would you, like, watch this again? No, because it was uh, grueling. You know, like, I don't mm. I don't watch too many movies over again, at least l- less than 10 years since the last time I watched them. Mm. And it's like, I prefer the impression I have based on the strength of DeArmas. Like, I'm, I mean, I was always going to watch whatever she makes next. God, I watched that fucking Adrian Lyne movie she was in. That was a mistake. Uh, the one with the, the one with the... <laughs> that also came out last year, right? Uh, yeah, was, it was a Netflix, yeah. too, I think. Dark Water. I think it's so. Hulu. It's oh, a Hulu, it Hulu. movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm saying it's like, it was worth watching. She's always interesting. She does something. Right. I'm not saying she's like a Brad Dourif, but it's like she's kind of got this curiosity factor where she gives mm. you something with each movie you don't see coming. And she frequently takes her clothes off and she looks great. She's got all these actorly things that she does as a performer. And she happens to be the absolute model of a dime piece. You know, like she just is Mm. kind of ready to do anything. We haven't had a leading actress like her for like a leading actress who's also a character actor. This is kind of a new thing for the moment. So I'm really excited to see where she goes with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, I think she's a very compelling actress. And I, I would have never seen this, you know, if I had only seen like Knock Knock, that terrible oh. Eli Roth, Keanu yeah. Reeves movie. Like I would have never predicted that her career would have headed in this direction. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm definitely curious. And, you know, I think the Oscar nomination is going to help her a lot. Um, You know, the, the, so hopefully, yeah, she gets more interesting roles. But, yeah, it, it's kind of like a make or break movie for the other people involved like she's gonna come out on top i think with this but uh, andrew dominic i don't know man like he was already on borrowed time i feel that this this movie i don't know it might bury his career he might just be relegated to directing anonymous episodes I i think he's gonna be a prestige director the question is um you know does he get a 15 to 20 million dollar uh budget for the future or does he, is he able to keep doing these maximal $100 million? I don't even know how much this thing costs, but it certainly looked like it, it conjured the period, so it definitely had a, a price right. associated with it. Yeah, but I, I also feel like the black and white helped a lot with that, like, you know, of yeah. evoking that period. And I mean, True. you know, that's a good point to, like, kind of wrap things up with this. Yeah. Because, um, you know, the blank check thing, like, th- this is also why I wanted to cover this was because... Uh, a lot of people are saying that this is it, especially with Netflix losing a bunch of money, laying people off, that uh, this was probably the last year that we were going to get like yeah. these blank check projects. Irishman like, this is an end things. of an year. Yeah. Yeah, we're 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 gonna get more like I guess uh, gray man <laughs> bullshit <laughs> next year. Yeah. You know, like that that that's uh that's where, where we're heading. Except there is one movie that uh, I'm definitely looking forward to. It's coming out supposedly in November, uh, not confirmed yet. But um, uh, David Fincher's new movie, The Killer, is a Netflix movie. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm excited for that, you know. And then you know the the international aspect of it, like uh, I'll, I'll still be on the lookout for these gems like Carter or Athena or uh, the big four, you know, because I, I think that's really where it rests, where they can still kind of thrive a little bit, at least, you know, in favor of, of people discovering and liking these movies. Uh, but yeah, the, the American, the Western Netflix arm, like I think is in trouble. Like, yeah, they're, they're spending way too much money. It's going out of control. It's like United artists all over again. Yeah. You know, 
Oh, man. But anyway, oh, man, we got through it. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, what a, what an episode. <laughs> pat, yeah. pat yourselves on the back, gentlemen. Did excellent work. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, I, I know. Bill. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Bill and Carlo. A lot, a lot of the heavy lifting. We didn't even talk about the menu or you know some of these other ones. So was so was that, that a Netflix nice. movie? I, I don't think it was. No, I think I th- um, yeah, I think I think it yeah. might have been HBO or eventually it's on. Uh, yeah, it, it, was, on it was a theat. Yeah, it definitely got a, like a theatrical. Okay, yeah. okay good run. So right, I, good. I, I I think we covered all bases. No, just kidding. All right. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of Netflix movies. Um, yeah. Okay. So Bill, yeah, we got to thank you for for coming back on and you know um uh you. I mean, your your thoughts on these movies, like you explained the, you know, you you painted a picture for us a lot better than either of us could. So oh, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you for that. You. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and Bill, do you have a little more time? I certainly do. So, Carlo, would you mind if we uh, step into the our, our final segment here? Absolutely. I, I was surprised. Okay. I didn't know we had time, but I guess we yeah. do. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good on time again. And so it's, it's time for our final segment, a little trivia game that we've stolen from another podcast called The Game, The Game. Don't blow it, The Game. Shout out to Kai at the MILFcast. Bill. I, I feel my seat. My seat's feeling hotter and hotter as I'm sitting in it. You were well-versed in the trivia game. Yes, it's an honor to have you here with us on Movie Food. Um, so the way the game works, you're going to get three movies, and um, a perfect score is going to be 21. And, uh, and for each movie, you're going to get seven clues. If you get the movie on the first clue, you get seven points. If you get on the next clue, six points, so on down. Okay. Um, we say if you get 12, that's a good score. Um, yeah. JR on the last episode got 13 with the assist from Carlo. I think Kai has a 16. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was, that's been the highest so far. So you're trying to, you're trying to beat Kai, but again, you know, he, he invented the game. Yeah. And if I were a betting man, I, I would put my money on Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like, I okay. mean, you're, you're so versed in, in trivia. Um, and like, you know, uh, I, I was giving an assist to JR on the previous episode, but you don't need my help. Like, we, uh, yeah, we need yeah. your help. <laughs> like, you're, yeah, you're yeah. the guy who comes in and, like, is the hot hand and, you know. Okay, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> but wait, yeah. I'm, I'm competing against one of the Grandmama's boys, right? That's that's a, that's a big uh, trivia get. You guys would play out in Brooklyn, Carlo? Gra- um, Grandma's boys, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That was our team. Yeah, man. Uh, didn't you do Ooh. one with us, like in trivia? Uh, I think did. I did, but I, I, I um, was on. I forget yeah. whose team I played on, but that was a tough. Room. Oh, you weren't. Yeah. You weren't with us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did terribly in this game. I didn't. I didn't know any of those movies. I didn't see. I hadn't seen any of them. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, I somehow mm-hmm. picked movies you hadn't seen, which yeah, is like which is very wild. hard. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're yeah. gonna give All you a right. crash. The answer is crash. James Benning. Oh, damn. Game over. All right, let's go. Okay. All right, here we go. All right. Your first movie, Great Bill. Yes. Is a 1993 comedy drama romance. 1993. All right. I can't get on the first clue. Give me a second clue. All right. In this movie is Anne-Margaret. Anne-Margaret. Comedy drama romance, 1993. Is it Grumpy Old Men? Correct. Okay. Oh my god. Go. For six points. Damn. Jeez. Grumpy right. old men. Off to a that hot is start. A great, a great start. Wow. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Your second film, The Venerable Bill. Yeah. <laughs> 2019. Biography, crime, drama. What 
2019 biography crime drama. I'm going to call up the first point. I need that second clue. Anna Paquin is in this movie. Biography. Uh, 2019 biography crime drama. Anna Paquin. Uh, I got it. Hang on. I got it. I got it. Anna Paquin. Oh, boy. Anna Paquin. Oh, boy. Anna Paquin. Just stick a line in it. Anna Paquin was in it. She didn't have a line. She was had a non-speaking role because she was cut out mostly. Oh, fuck. Uh, she played the daughter of the guy who the movie is about. I'm uh, I'm tracking it down. 2019. <gasps> Biography. Music's on getting more intense. It's, it's on it's, the tip of his tongue. Oh, sure. God. Uh, I need the extra clue. I need the extra clue. Oh, okay, shit. okay, okay. The tagline. Time changes nothing. Time changes nothing. Oh my god, that's strangely not helpful. Oh, I feel like I'm getting further away from it now. I'm coughing this one up. I'm, it's, it's, oh my god, Bill. Uh, <laughs> people are screaming uh, at their radios right yeah, now. Yeah, time changes People are nothing. freaking out. Time changes nothing. Yes, she plays it. She's the, the grown daughter after a time jump. She, she, who the hell is it? God, it's right in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me another clue. Give me another clue. I'm still, okay. I'm still in this thing. All right. Okay. All right, for, for four points, uh-huh. the director yeah. is Martin Scorsese. Oh, oh God get it. damn it. It's the Irishman. <laughs> Fuck. I Correct. heard you paint houses. Yeah, I heard you paint houses. The Irishman. Here's, here's, mm-hmm. that, kid, here's that kid I was telling you about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So you're already at a 10. Hey, you're doing yeah, fantastic. Right. You're rocking and yeah, rolling. Right, right. But you would have to basically get this one in one. I know. Hole in one yeah. to win. Okay. Yeah. And and again, maybe there's a theme. You know, we usually maybe we'll, we'll generate a theme yes, here yes, with these see films. We'll see. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Your final film. A 2008 drama. 2008 drama. <laughs> so drama. I, I need I need that second clue. That's not going to work. Okay. 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 All right. Um, in this movie is B. Vang. I'm sorry. Who? Say. Repeat that name again. <laughs> B. B. E. E. Vang. B. Vang. This movie has B. B Vang. Vang. 2008 drama with B. Vang. B. Vang. 2008 drama. Uh, and so far we've had the uh, Grumpy Old Man and the Irishman. I'm trying to put together a thematic thing. Yeah. 2008 drama. B. Vang. B. E. E. Vang. 2008. I need. I need another clue. I need. Oh, okay. 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 I've already lost the bet. All right. Yeah, yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> Four, five points. Yes. The score uh-huh. is from Kyle Eastwood and Michael Stevens. Kyle Eastwood, Michael Stevens. Oh, that doesn't get me anywhere near. Oh boy, I'm close. All right, give me another clue. Keep it going. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Don't you don't even want to take a wild guess? I don't. I, I, like, I don't have a wild. I don't even have a wild. Guess. Far and away. Yeah. Or something. Okay. No. It's, it was not. Far that away. was not far and away. All right. Uh, okay. We're now for uh, for four points. I think this is this is where we're gonna yes. get it. Four points. The director is Clint Eastwood. Oh, come on. It's Clint Eastwood, 2008, uh, drama, B. Vang, B. Vang, 2008. Is this J. Edgar? Oh, next for clue. three For three <laughs> points. Ah! 
The most famous quote is, get off my lawn. Ah, uh, Gran Torino. Okay. <laughs> Gran Torino. <laughs> correct. And hence, okay, you know what? I play it back now. That's a Hmong name. I should have I should have recognized that. Fuck. All right. Yeah. yeah there, there, there was a little clue in there. Yes, there hey, was. so you, yeah. you, end up with a, with, you end up with a 13. Ah. That's, 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 again, it's a tough game. I dishonored. Yeah, man. Um, like, that's a, that's that that first score. clue for the last one was like tw- 2008 drama. Yeah. <laughs> like what the hell? Like yeah, yeah. With the, the I I think just not really a nitpick, but like with the clues, the first clue, if you have more genres, it, it gets easier to narrow Slightly. it down. But drama, yeah. Yeah. 2008. How many dramas came on 2008? <laughs> it's like that's a shot in the dark. Yeah. I know it's it's yeah. crazy. On I, I, you know, so, yeah, so the way I do that, I, I you know I, I look at what's listed under on IMDb. IM. DB and that's yeah. exactly how it is. It only has one category. It's bizarre. Well, do you guys? Yeah, I know. <laughs> me and Carlo last time we talked about the Chris uh, Doyle movie. We talked about Framed, but there's a game I play called mm. Actorly. Do you play Actorly? What is that? Actorly is um, it's selections of an actor's career, right? But they don't give you the actor's name. They give you uh, a series of movies in a run. The letters in the movie are replaced by X's, and they have the genre of each of each movie by year. So you get year, Ooh. the shape of the name to the letter, to the quantity of letters with punctuation, colons, that sort of thing. And then the IMDb genres. So it is this game that Steve's saying. However, what you get to do is triangulate by essentially 20 years, if, if appropriate, in someone's career, 20 years worth oh, of movies. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's so I'm I'm, oh. I'm used to looking at films via genre with just that they're sort of being out in the woods looking for the, mm. you know, somebody in the dark. Well, good. Yeah. No, should, I gotta give this a shot. Try this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actorly, okay. Yeah, I haven't played Framed in a while too. I mean, yeah. I guess I stopped playing when um somehow yeah. it reset and it ruined my streak, oh, and I was yeah, just yeah. like, oh man, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in on it like in 2021, and then at some point I fell off. Yeah. <laughs> well, tonight Steve made me dishonor all my ancestors with this terrible, oh, terrible no. uh, <laughs> uh, performance. No, no, you'll you be got- back. What? We gotta have yeah, like you, um kind of like a contest of champions, you know, where it's everybody, <laughs> you know, like we've had before, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then just like play it like oh. just one show that's oh, like gotcha. yeah, every previous guest, like I don't know how we're gonna make it work in terms of time, <laughs> uh, since we're all in different time zones, but yeah, battle, fuck it. battle <laughs> of the network stars, I like this, yeah, totally. Yeah. How, how do you guys do the the trivia online, Bill? Like. How, how does that work? Is everybody like on the East Coast? Is that? Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like they go back and forth. It's it's the Nighthawks version of trivia, and um, mm. they do one week in in the live uh, IRL, and then mm. the next week they do it because um, Wendy Mays still does it. She she moved to Decatur, Georgia, and so she. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, and so I'm playing with East Coast. It means I stay awake until two thirty in the morning. Then the game starts, Jeez. and they go to bed at five. Dang, here. Bill. Yeah. Wow! Committed to the bit. Yeah, and how many participants are there? Because I can imagine like tabulating the scores or. Well, you know, it's all done by Google Docs, and and you know oh, it, okay. that was at its heat during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. But now I would say if they're averaging thirty-five people, I mean that's that's pretty good. Oh, that's a lot. yeah, no, yeah, dang, wow. thirty-five. Thirty-five, yeah, man. All right. Well, that's the game. Um, I did have one little more segment uh, that I just sure. want to briefly touch upon because I, I guess we have more time now a little bit, um, which is just the topic of NC-17. And oh, yeah. Bill, you know, you, you probably remember it better than either of us, you know, when the advent of this rating and like, you know, people are saying that maybe, yeah, Blonde might be the last NC-17 movie we'll see, you know. Um, 
but yeah, it's just like it, it's really funny. Like, there's this documentary called uh, "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." Oh, Kirby, Have you Kirby guys seen Dick. It? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, oh, appropriately yeah. Yeah. named Kirby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, which is one of his better docs. You know, it doesn't have as uh, you know the kind of factual inaccuracies that have plagued his other documentaries, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's about the MPAA or now the MPA as they call themselves, and and one of the things that it reveals is basically that you know there's more of a bias against sex than violence. Like if you yeah. look at most of the movies that are rated NC-17, they're more for sexual reasons than than violence. You know, you like it. The movie basically points out, like the documentary points out, like you can get away with like chopping somebody's head off in a PG thirteen movie, but you know, like um, uh, just you have to limit the number of pumps that you can show in a sex scene. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, yeah. like they count those, and then like um, uh, uh or the thrusts, or like um, uh, showing an erect <laughs> penis. Yeah. Like you know, you have to present something that's like somewhere in between it can't be fully erect and it can't also be flaccid it's like this weird like uh rule and I, i'm sure the mpa has changed a lot since then and it takes a lot to get an nc-17 rating um but yeah i mean i think that was the other thing that they were holding against blonde was that like was the movie like gunning for it like you know it was like oh if it gets the you know i think partly also that movie maker interview with andy dominic rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because he was you know, the quote that they take out of context is like, oh, a little drama, you know, is a good thing, yeah. you know. Um, so it, it feeds more into this thing of like, yeah, are you really like making something exploitative because you want to get that like headline grabbing NC-17 rating? But um, yeah, I wanted to ask you guys like uh, off the top of your head, is there like a your favorite NC-17 rated movie? I got one, yeah. In fact, uh, okay. me and James Hancock did this as part of our uh, Naughty 90s Wrong Real uh, recount. I think it was the first episode we did, but the Mickey Rourke movie, Blue or um, not Blue Orchid, Wild Orchid. Oh shit, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, um, um, that was like in the in the in the shadow of all those Zalman King movies. It was something. It was, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like you know you had the yeah. benefit of it being the, the the sort of 90s was the era, among other things, of not just disobedience and stuff like that and sort of a grunge affect that was corporately subsumed, but it also had, it was the last gasp of the erotic sleazy drama. And that's <laughs> why guys like Zalman King and, and Adrian Lyon and these people who were like button pushers saying, ooh, it's, it's, it's penis, it's boobs, it's sex, it's all these things and you can't handle it because we're too transgressive. But I mean, yeah. Wild Orchid really, um, it wasn't a good movie, but it was really committed <laughs> uh, to sexual exploitation in all the best ways. And and, and I mean, the, the lady who was the, the Cariotis, who was the lead actor of it, really didn't make it out of there. She was a broken woman from that point on. I mean, she was in a modern Damn, yeah. Uh, Mickey Rourke, his face fell apart right after that. He started to look like Thanos. You know, it's like it's really, it's really strange. But it's like that movie has a combination of sexy saxophone. Uh, it was... It, <laughs> It was shot on, it. yeah. It was shot on location in um, in Rio, I think, or Brasilia, or Sao Paulo, or one of those. But it was on, you know, it, there was a shitload of nudity. I mean, it was pretty explicit with, you know, you just before you get to penetration. But it's like there are some scenes mm. that made you think, how did they fake penetration without hitting it the right way here? You know, I, I just don't know where the schwangus is in this scene. If it's yeah, like, there's not like um, the room where he's like humping her belly button. <laughs> he's like, her belly button. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I mean, that that movie, um, you know, there's a bunch and especially it's partly the nostalgia of it. I mean, I'm, I'm not like generally given to nostalgia, liking something only because I have a memory of it. But in, right. in visiting those movies from the 90s, 
Um, there's something about in particular what they did that we just don't have anymore. And so um, that's like, man, we were swimming in sleaze and, you know, things like the Bikini Car Wash Company, which is a fucking incredible piece of art. That's a great work of art. You know, guys. Like, it's a video? Or oh, no, that was that was like one of those um, uh, Cinemax late at night. That was, you know, women would, oh, would wash cars oh. and their bikini tops would fly off. And that's exactly, it's, <laughs> it's all I want in life still to this Work day. of art. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I'll also just say, Bill, to add on to that, like, I love this era of you and Jamie, like, leaning into your pervy, <laughs> like, 40 year old, late 40s, <laughs> mid 40s <laughs> selves. Like, uh, I mean, you know, it's like, you're you're uh, your villain, <laughs> like uh, like arc is complete. <laughs> yeah, but my yeah, heel I mean, turn. You're right. Yeah, I I was shocked. That, like I think I only found that out with your uh, best of uh, 2002 episode of uh, oh uh, sorry um 2022 episode of um wrong reel where Jamie revealed that he savage comics on Twitter. I had no idea. Oh yeah yeah that, yeah. 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 <laughs> And, you know, my feed is getting filled with you liking those Savage Comics <laughs> posts. So I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's looking like I'm looking at porn. Yeah. I'm feeding <laughs> yeah. the algorithm. I'm helping James out. <laughs> yeah, you I'm, totally it's, are. It's selfless. That's selfless. I don't get anything out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't get out. God yeah. speaks through yeah. you. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like, it, it's, uh, I guess as I'm growing older, too, like, maybe I'm entering this old man pervy phase, too, because I'm getting fascinated by t- as well, too. Like, in a weird way, it's different from when you're a teenager and, like, it's all new and exciting to you. It's like, sure. I don't know what it is. It's like, I- I'm actually more interested in towing the line, like, how they did it. Like, yeah. you know, especially, like, uh, I-, I have never seen any of his movies, but I want to delve into it. It's like Russ Mayer. Oh yeah, like, you know, yeah. yeah. Oh and, God, yeah. Yeah, and just like I guess the the frankness of the interviews too that I've read with a lot of these filmmakers, it's like you know, I'm this is who I am. Like you know, I'm not hiding anything. Like you know, uh, uh, who gives a fuck if you know if these feminists like criticize me for <laughs> being a perv? You know, that's just like you know, that's what I that's what excites me. This is what I want yeah. to make films out of, and uh, you know, it's that Roger Corman kind of model i feel where it's like okay well get this guy who wants to be an auteur and have him like stick a bunch of titties in it andy sedaris <laughs> man andy fucking sedaris <laughs> yeah he's a legend and then um i'll say a guy i've been getting into recently is um uh uh jean rolin do you know oh him? i know i French have guy? yeah I, i've heard of oh. him i have i don't go deep on jean rolin though oh my god dude like you gotta see um the night of the hunted yeah. like uh, like that deserves a revisit, and like I mean, I I actually my criticism is not sexual enough. Like I needed more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it has like a a fantastic like terrible sex scene in it. Like it's it's bad, but it's it's good. But Steve, Steve what about you, Steve? You've been you've been quiet here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am aware of a ton of Cinemax kind of stuff. Like I remember as a kid being really, or also um, I guess Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. He now has a show um on uh, Shutter, right? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. um Oh shit, and he was in Casino. Oh, he's great in Casino. <laughs> yeah, he's so good in Casino. Yeah. So uh. I think I feel like I came across a lot of those bikini car wash kind of stuff on that. Shit, and, I didn't even know about it. And I like... definitely remember but the ones that always stood out to me as my favorites, there was this there was like a horror series with a character named Orville Ketchum. And uh, okay. I think so. I, those might have been the sorority house massacre type movies, Shit. where it, but but it was yeah, very. I don't know if they were NC seventeen, but they were very skinamaxy, like very mm. sleazy. Oh, Jim Wynorski, kinda, yeah, they were they were towing the line exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So like that kind of stuff I remember really liking. Um, and then, yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking through a list of NC-17 movies. Yeah, yeah. I want to know. Like, what, like, what, like, what? Like, I, like, like, I think I've seen like the safe ones. Like, like I've seen or- Orgasmo. Yeah. yeah, and we've talked and about seen, Crash. You know, yeah, crash. That's a crash, notorious yeah. NC-17 movie. Yeah, but yeah, I think I got to step up my game, especially <laughs> as, as far as the get, uh, get into 1970s yeah stuff. a primer uh, of NC-17. Um, uh, one thing though, recently too, I heard was that the uh, a movie that I actually enjoyed from this year so far, like a good start to the year, was um uh Infinity Pool, yeah, the Brandon Cronenberg. Oh yeah, movie. yeah, saw it. Sure, that oh. apparently has an NC-17 cut, and I I want to see what that is. Like I, oh. you know, so I'm I'm wait I'm waiting like before rewatching it. I want to go back and watch the uh the nc-17 version of it maybe you because know. there was um, pubis and i don't know i mean the, i guess the version i saw the most you got was full frontal and sort of flashes i think they might have been right a, there might have been a schwang shot from Skarsgård too i don't know <laughs> yeah i i thought like um the because the way people talked about the the jerking off scene spoiler alert um yep. the hand job scene which is totally different from the the blonde scene yes. uh like i thought you you got to see a lot more uh, but from the way the people described it, from what I saw, but I was like, okay, that's that's weird. Um, but I don't know. Not that I need to see it, but <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it's just it's just remarkable when you go down the list of how many of them are sexual. But it's funny because the one my favorite NC seventeen is actually more for its violence <laughs> and its subject matter than uh, even though there is like one really kind of disturbing and slash also weirdly funny rape scene <laughs> if that's even possible i'm gonna get canceled our podcast is getting canceled yeah. now that i said that like i'm gonna get clipped that i said that there was a funny rape scene but um it's Bring a it ma- man bites dog have either of you seen oh, this? I, ha- oh I have it no. in the hopper to no. watch but i have not seen it yet oh shit bill i think actually you might dig this because um i just clapped on my mic <laughs> um but yeah like uh it's it's this fake documentary it was made by three guys who like never made another movie together Again, uh, except the the one guy he kind of became like a regular actor, uh, Benoit Benoit Poulervoud. Like he, um, they're all Belgian, and he, um, he he's been like in a few movies. He was in like a recent uh, Quentin Dupieux yeah. film. Uh, he's a great actor. Like I, I think he's fantastic. But um, uh, this is like his movie. Like he's a co-director, co-writer in it, and you know if you guys aren't familiar with the premise, it's basically a film crew follows a serial killer around, <laughs> and it's obviously like very satirical. Yeah. Uh, it's shot in black and white, and you know in documentary style. And uh, I mean the, the scene that really makes it for me is is when they encounter another serial killer. <laughs> Oh and I won't God. spoil it from there. Like, you know, you, you'll see. Like, uh, but yeah, it's just like this idea that, you know, you could follow a serial killer around and he'd be like willing to like basically welcome you guys <laughs> to follow him, uh, commit all these horrendous murders. And, you know, the actor ben- Benoit Poulivaud is just so, so charming. You know, you can't help but like get carried along the same way these filmmakers are. And yeah, it is very disturbing, especially when you think about it. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's well deserving of its M- NC seventeen, uh, rating. Well, have either yeah. of you guys seen a Serbian movie? Yes, I have. Nope. Yeah. And, um. Know, yeah, Serbian no, movie but... strikes me as like I you know watched it because I want to see something audacious. And yeah, I, right. I, ironically, I thought the Serbian movie was completely tame. Not in that it was showing this this simulated violence, but it was just sort of so predictably simulated. Right. 
it, it was it was it was not surprising and it didn't feel risky at all. It just felt like it's no. going through this very, ooh, aren't I misbehaving a bad you know, aren't we the, the you know, what what could happen here in Serbia? Ooh, isn't it scary? Isn't this like, you know, what's going on out here? It was, it was just it, yeah. was, it was almost a little uh, I don't want to say decent, but it was predictable in a way. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the yeah. thing was, I actually didn't realize it until after I saw it that I actually saw a cut version of it. I didn't see the the uncut NC yeah. seventeen no. version. Um, but like, I feel like even if these scenes, because I don't think the scenes themselves were cut out, it was just more like they, you know, they cut around it, mm-hmm. um, to be less graphic. But uh, like, it, you know, I don't think it would have added more to the film and you know you tap into something there with this like this niche that exists where it's like these filmmakers who were making these erotica especially Jean Rolin I can see it in just that one film of The Night of the Hunted they were sincere about it like they were like they wanted to make films that like was about subject matter that they're interested in they're not making it to shock you you know it's like I really just enjoy seeing beautiful women naked you know (laughs) and you know violence and all those things excite me (laughs) Uh, what about Sion Sono have you seen his movies um yeah i mean one of my favorite movies of his is uh, uh love exposure yeah mm-hmm. like that's fantastic but does he have an nc-17 movie i don't uh, know yeah i thought anti-porno is that the one i'm thinking of uh that one was oh pretty, that one was pretty oh uh, gotcha graphic. yeah i mean okay i mean it's different coming out of japan it's like then you get to like what is it um who made roma the senses that guy uh um Nish- yeah oh, that's n- the n- first nc-17 movie i ever saw nagasha oshima yeah. <laughs> yeah oshima yeah and it's funny also the way i saw it was like i was invited to like an animation like program and I was like maybe twelve or thirteen years old, and they were testing the projector, and that's what they tested the projector with. <laughs> and you know, the opening scene is a sex scene. You know, it's like, oh man, it's oh, it was I, crazy. I, you know, another here, here's what I might recommend as as a real great nihilistic statement. Believe it or not, it's the animated movie Urotsugadochi. The Legend of the Ooh. Overfiend. That is that's oh. Hancock got me that one, and it is. You know, it's like because it's all animated, you know, essentially it's like, what can you say about it? It's all depicted. Mm. So it can't be an NC-17. Yet it is. Because right. It, it, it is so nihilistic and so sort of depraved in its depiction of, you know, semen arcs and, and, and rape and violence <laughs> and all this stuff. And, you know, yeah. it, it's really depraved and in, in, in like the best oh, way possible. Shit. That one seems yeah. legit risky and like, you know, legit yeah. disobedient. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I you know, I, the other two movies that makes me think of is uh, like Ninja Scroll and uh, Kite. Like those two movies are also like really pushing. They're hardcore. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. what's acceptable, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it's all animated. <laughs> it's like it's it's, it's all yeah. from their mind, you know. Oh, um, now on that that French movie about those two girls who were tortured and the girl is um, skinned and it's like, does this sound familiar? I can't remember the name. Um, it is it uh, mar- Martyrs? Martyrs, that's it. Yeah, that, that's people another talk about one. that a lot. Yeah. yeah, and like, there's a lot of people who are like saying that that's one of their favorites, and I'm like, you yeah. really enjoyed this movie? You know, yeah. it's, oh, it's disturbing, man. but it it too has yeah. it, it goes through a lot of the Serbian film kind of motions. It's like I did not like it, but I'm like, I'm just really kind of wasn't that impressed with it. I suppose. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 for sure. But then again, yeah, it's just that 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 sincerity, like I think, is really important. You know, yeah. if you're gonna make something that's NC seventeen, like you don't aim for NC seventeen. It just like your your preoccupations yeah. landed you there. There you, you go. Know, I like it. Yeah, and just wrapping up, I just want to say too, like when I was doing my research, I was shocked that uh, even though I feel like it deserved it, Evil Dead NC seventeen. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I did not that realize too. that. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah, like, I guess, you know, I mean, the tree scene, obviously. But, yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't know that Sam Raimi had it. <laughs> it's in his uh, 
his filmography that he can boast that he has an NC-17 movie. And yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's that Reagan era, be, car, post-Carter, beginning of the Reagan era bullshit. I'm sure there was some, right. you know, more. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the power of that scene still has the sure. power of the shop, of you course. know, like you know, every time you see it. Um, Yeah, and it's just, again, like these ratings, obviously, like uh, I when I grew up in the UK, ratings were a lot more stricter. Like you couldn't watch it. Like, I, you know, the MPA has been saying like, you know, it's 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 just a guide or whatever and it made me think like because of the the puritan origins and like the you know the the bias against sex like you know th- there should be like suggested ratings for movies that i think when people say like oh i didn't get it you know it, like sometimes it's because you're not mature enough like you yeah. know? <laughs> like there should be like i think like an r or nc30 or something <laughs> It's like, you know, you got to be at least 30 years old to understand this movie. Or and, like, ask, that would be your guide. You, you ask know? me to personally explain it, and I'll do a fucking good job. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bill like will do that. I'll take <laughs> that on myself Bill. to do. Thank yeah, you. you do the Nicole Kidman intro <laughs> in front of the movie instead of the <laughs> this AMC. Is, this is why yeah. we come here. It's, it's yeah, the, heartbreak the feels great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heartbreak feels great in a place like this. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. All right, I guess that wraps it up. Uh, yeah, we're yeah we we're approaching the three hour mark again, but <laughs> it was fun. Bill, thank you again so much. Um, so yeah, let us know like where can people find you, especially your porny uh, yeah, my, posts. My... All right, so I'm on Twitter at William Scurry. My podcast is called I Don't Get It, and I mean it sounds like we're shitting on things, but it's really two middle aged men sampling uh stuff that's popular and fetish to see. You know, rightly so, if it's a good sensation or a sort of boring sensation. Yeah, um, I, yeah. You guys genuinely surprise me sometimes. Like, I, I assume you guys are not going to like it, and then you end up liking it. I'm like, yeah, that's oh, the point. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, we, we picked a bad podcast name, unfortunately, because people think it's just two, you know, two guys who are gamer gating everything, which is not that's yeah, not us at all. And yeah. also, it, uh, I'll just also say it's hard to search for. Um, yeah. There's also other podcasts that have that name, yeah. even though they're discontinued. You're, you guys are still yeah. active. Like the algorithm still favors them in the search. Um, yeah, they've been around longer. Now it's true. Uh, I've definitely yeah. have listened to a bunch of the apps. I'm excited to listen to the Spy Balloon one. I oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, All right. So, Steve, where can people find us? Yes, right. We are um, at, on Twitter also at Movie Food Pod. You can follow Carlo, the great Carlo, at Carlo Kino with two Ks. We also have a Patreon set up. If you want to support the show, help us keep the lights on, uh, search for Movie Food and Carlo's Letterboxd at Astrofish, F I S C H. And that is it. All right. And we'll just end it with um, Julianne Moore saying that she would rather be seen naked than being killed. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All good. right. Okay. All right, Bill. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate this. Uh, it's been a yes. great show. Thank you, Bill. Hey, man. Salamat po. I appreciate it. Salamat po. I appreciate it.